What's good, Internet? Welcome to episode 552 of Waypoint Radio. Here, we start not introducing ourselves, but introducing these lovely Independent Game Festival Awards to one Natalie Watson. (laughs) Congratulations to Natalie Watson, the Keyblade Master herself. Uh, Immortality at the uh, IGF. Uh, or the uh, yeah the, uh, the the IGF uh, awards at GDC this week. Uh, Immortality uh, came home with the excellence in narrative and the uh, innovation award. Uh, two worthy awards for a uh, a very well uh, made game. Seeing Natalie, I, I don't think it's streamed live, and I haven't seen a clip up, or else I would share it. But seeing Natalie up on stage uh, accepting that award on behalf of the game was. My heart, my heart grew uh, as a result of seeing uh, how far our little Natalie Bird has flown since since being here. But me, I'm still here. Episode 552. Welcome to Waypoint. I can't leave. I'm just here. And thankfully, I've uh, contained other people into this this prison of podcasts with me. One, uh, Ricardo Contreras. I like to think of it as a, a nice room of podcasts. Ooh, a conversation pit? A, a nice little, yeah, sure, a conversation pit of podcast. <laughs> yeah, pit, pit is what I'd call it sometimes, that's that's for sure. Uh, also joined by uh, Renata Price. Hello, Renata. Hello. Uh, Cut, are you going to keep in the gentle slapping of us clapping as quietly as possible into the microphone? Absolutely. 100%. Cool. Yeah, cool, everybody cool, needs cool, to cool, cool, hear that. Cool. Time.Natalie is, uh, we gotta go to the website where we clap for Natalie. Um, oh, everyone do it at Immortality. (laughs) Everyone do it at the third Twilight movie. Uh, God, I can't wait. You, uh, you did a, you did a unique thing, uh, this week. Uh, people, when they take days off, very common, uh, want to extend my weekend. Well, like, I'll take a Friday, take a Monday. Just like, ooh, like, I got so many options on what to do. Very rarely does one take the Wednesday, the the day off in the middle of the week, which is just like a, well, I guess it's a day off. Uh, it's just, it's what, what happened? Explain to me what, what happened on Wednesday. So one, Wednesday is my like, well, fuck me day usually where it's like, I, I will have to, it's usually my day where like I'm most blog starved and also I'm probably not on a stream. And so I was just like, well, I'll just do a Wednesday because like, I, I we're, we're booked on Mondays, mm-hmm. we're booked on Thursdays, mm-hmm. and we're generally booked on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but I'm usually booked on Fridays. I like the I like my job. I like I like being on things. I like being on mic. Uh, and so I was gonna take a day off that was like mostly just admin work and writing uh, and like scanning around. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm gonna have such a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to sleep in a little bit. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go to a cafe, work on a personal project that I started a little bit ago. Mm. Going to do some going to do some research, going to have a really nice time. Uh, and I woke up at about uh, 10, 15 in the morning uh, and I stayed at my girlfriend's place. My girlfriend's door to her bedroom doesn't latch. I need to fix this because mm-hmm. what will happen is. My precious stepdaughter, my idiot baby cat, Rumi, 
will just knock the door open. And normally that's fine. The door is open. Uh, however, my girlfriend's roommate uh, was having a friend over uh, and it was 10 in the morning. And so they arrived without realizing that I was also there with the door open to the living room and could hear everything that was being said as they chatted for, I'm going to say three and a half to four hours as I tried to hide Metal Gear Solid-esque from line of sight from the door while playing the Slay the Spire on, the, on my phone. Uh, and that, that went on for about, for about four consecutive hours because I sunk cost fallacy myself into a Seinfeld bit. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now you can't go out because you're like, yeah. how yeah. long have you been in there? Right. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you see, you see Kato. Cause like after like 20 minutes, it's like, oh, she just woke up. Yeah. After 30 minutes, it's like, oh, have you been there the whole time? After an hour, it's like, motherfucker, I know you had to sleep. <laughs> After two hours, I look like a criminal. <laughs> After three hours, I'm sending myself to jail. Well, I think you did. Right. I did. You put yourself in the room jail. I, I a room can be a jail, jail sometimes. <laughs> a room can be a jail sometimes. And I made this room my jail. It sucked. Uh that is what I spent most of my day off doing instead of like wow. going to work on like a fun little personal project. Oh my God. I just, I, I no. social anxiety sunk cost fallacy myself. It's a, one, it's a wonder yeah. that some of you get through the day. I, you know, sometimes, or, or don't actually. Yeah. I know, you know, I just qualifies. The day went on. Uh, I don't know if Ren got through it. Ren might still, be, might still be there, uh, frankly. <laughs> I didn't want to bother them. I didn't want to like startle them with my four presence. hours. <laughs> you know, like throw something. You know, make a noise like a distra- you, You're comparing yourself to Metal Gear. Like throw a smoke grenade. You know, like so, like whoops, a phone fell on the floor. The social uh, smoke grenade of like getting a call, for example. But they, but they, <laughs> but they don't know I'm still there, right? Like that's yeah. that's the key. Is that like e- e- even me so revealing wait, wait. my presence what normally? Happened? I waited until they left. <laughs> they got there at like 1030, oh, 1045. No. I have the te- I can tell you the exact amount of time I waited. Mm. Let me pull up my Did you text. tell other people this story? Because I could never. I told my girlfriend. Okay. But now, uh, but now you've opened the door to that. Well, you didn't. Well, doors are the problem here, frankly. Um, yeah. But uh, like, because if you... In some ways, you could look at this like, oh, this is like a fun little story. But if you told me that story later and I was the person on the other end of that, I don't know that my standing and... No. It would, I, it, would, it, would, it, would de- it would depreciate. It would be like, what a, why would you tell me this story? <laughs> I don't want to know this about you. I didn't, I didn't, tell, I didn't tell my, I didn't tell my uh, girlfriend's roommate. That is... That is well, that yeah, is, but you've... I'm taking you've, that you've, shit you've, to you've the grave. You've opened the circle <laughs> to get very close. I'm taking that shit to the grave other than this mm. podcast recording, which I'm sure she doesn't listen to. Yeah. Uh, 1045. Roommate's friend is here. 1048. But I don't want to like surprise them because I don't think they know I'm here. What are they going to do? Surprise them with what? Like have a heart attack? I I didn't want them to. I, 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 <laughs> I have a disease, Patrick. <laughs> I, okay, and I that don't, disease calls mm, being a dumb bitch. Like, I was gonna I say, don't. I was gonna say, we all got things, <laughs> I, I, you know. Um, uh, wait, uh, eleven, 
Okay. 1052. No, period. I can wait. <laughs> 1138. Waiting was a bold play. 1144. Yeah, waiting is untenable. Um, 105 p.m. Wow, sunk cost fallacy really bit me on this one. <laughs> and then finally, 1.44 p.m. I'm free. So it was almost three hours to the dot. Amazing. Um, of hiding. And uh, yeah, that was wow. that was Renata's cool. That was Renata's cool, uh, cool day off. Well, that's a way to spend a Wednesday. You know, we all have, <laughs> we all make our choices. Um, mm-hmm. Another uh, interesting choice this week uh, before we get to the games that we've been playing is uh, there are many ways to announce a video game. There are ARGs. There are Jeff Keighley events. There's, a, you know, E3, even though it's in a kind of a diminished state. There are su- uh, surprise drops. What is uh, less common these days is three video de- dev diaries oh casually God. saying Counter-Strike 2 is Counter-Strike here. Counter-Strike um, Not even saying that. Just... No. Just the it's assuming that Counter-Strike 2 is... Counter-Strike are, 2. Counter-Strike <laughs> 2 stumbled out of an open bedroom door and you're like, were you here the whole time, Counter-Strike 2? And Counter-Strike 2 is like, ah... Uh, look at these I've, smoke... But look at these I've smoke I've only balls. been here for three videos worth of time. And you go, is that true, Counter-Strike 2? And Counter-Strike 2 goes... Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, based on the stories that I've heard about how development works at Valve, it might not be, frankly, like all. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure anything gets done unless you are in line of sight with other people oh uh, there based on the how the hierarchies work. But yes, Counter-Strike 2 uh, has been announced, uh, been sort of rumored about uh, for the last uh, month or, or so. And then those rumors seem to be uh piling into some like teases uh and it culminated in just the like like wet fart is the wrong term but it's just no people are thrilled no 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 i don't no 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 no. i I am not implying anything about the quality or excitement level of the game more that just like it's just the way you normally hype people up for Mm -hmm. a bit is like a culmination of a moment and here it's just sort of like it's it's like it it was like counter-strike was walking around and like trying to hold it in, and then like, oops, oh no, Counter-Strike 2 came out. All right, it's out. All right, let's talk about it. Like, I guess we're doing a beta. Um, Counter-Strike 2, the, uh, there is a limited test going on uh, now that you cannot, this is not a Diablo 4 situation where you can just get into it. They are selectively choosing folks based on, like, Steam standing, and if you've played Counter-Strike, they're being pretty particular about who's invited to this stage of, of the game yeah. before it comes out in the summer. Uh Ren, can you walk us through what is the the big? I know smoke's a big deal. Uh, smoke's, smoke's a huge deal. Everyone's inhaling. Everyone's huffing. Uh, everyone's breathing. <laughs> Getting high off um, that tick, tick, tick. Exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. 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 Uh, no. No ticks. No. 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 No ticks at all. Patrick. We're getting high off of sub tick intervals. Don't get started. <laughs> We're getting, we're, getting, we're, getting, we're getting high off of sub-ticks. Thank you very much. Um, so Counter-Strike 2 uh, is going to be released in the long, I mean, long-awaited, long, long-spoken-of Source 2 uh, engine. Uh, and is going to basically be a rebuild of Counter-Strike from the ground up in Source 2. 
Um, and so today has that only been used in Half Life, Alex? Is that the I only closet so, yeah. that is that is that is used source to something that is is yes is of legend? If you are someone who has followed Valve as a studio <laughs> for you know as they've gone through like especially in the in the post Steam boom in which they just kind of stopped making games, but right. yet there would be leaks and. Uh, people walking through Valve and like you would see stuff on a wall referencing a source too. Um, but actually getting to this point where multiple games are being built in it is uh, is wild if you've been on the post Half-Life Episode 2 uh, train that I've been on since you know, 2008. Especially if you're uh, a Counter-Strike map maker or modder, in which case you will have access to Source 2 to be, that is what you will be building maps in, which is which is I'm sure very exciting for folks. I was watching a video from like a popular uh, Counter-Strike, uh, content creator who was like, yeah, I was working on a map and I decided to stop working on it, uh, because I wanted to wait until I could make it in Source 2, uh, because I assume it will be much fucking easier, uh, because it's, it's a, it's a significantly more modular engine than Source. Uh, and so effectively they're rebuilding everything from the ground up. Uh, they're going to do three stages of map redesigning, uh, which people are, or three kinds of map redesigning, which people are very excited about. The first is a straight port. The second is a port with the new lighting system. And then the final is uh, actually like redesigning aspects of the map to fit with the new gameplay stuff, which uh, that new gameplay stuff is best epitomized by the changes to smokes. Uh, so in intact shooters, right? The thing that separates low-level play and high-level play and tax shooters is, is information. Um, sure, if you can click heads really good, you'll do okay. But, like, clicking heads will literally, will only get you so far, especially at, like, higher levels. Um, and the thing that ends up winning or losing games uh, for, for tax shooters from Valorant to Counter-Strike to Rainbow Six Siege uh, is information, uh, is knowing where your opponents are so you can, like, properly fight them, right? And so, smokes have long been the information tool uh, for these games, uh, both for information gathering, but also for restricting information. Um, putting down a smoke means that there could be someone there, so you either have to waste ammunition spraying the smoke uh, and potentially hit someone, maybe, uh, or you kind of just have to accept that people could be moving past your field of view without you realizing. Uh, and smokes can be used both offensively and defensively, right? Right. And so for a long time, smokes were just effectively what they are in Valorant. Uh, in Valorant, when you put down a smoke, it makes a big orb, big orb, clearly delineated. You know what is in and out of the smoke. Smoke orb is, is forever and clear. Uh, in Counter-Strike, for a long time, smoke orb has been a lot more vague uh, and will clip through walls. Uh, and so a thing that people have been doing for a very long time is using smokes and the specific geometry of the smoke textures to create what are called one ways. Uh, and one ways are places where one player can see another player and the other player cannot see them. Uh, and so using one ways is generally, um, it's a way to get guaranteed kills, uh, it's, or almost guaranteed kills. It is also, um, an accepted part of the game, but at like very high levels is just a little bit, it's, it's cheesy, right? People, people how, think how it's are you, if, if it's capable of describing, mm -hmm. uh, in podcast form, how are yeah. you creating a scenario in which one person can see yeah. another person, but that per, you know, like how, how is this a smoke mirror, uh, yeah. or lack thereof working? 
So, uh, one of my, uh, I play in Valorant, I play, uh, or have played historically Viper, uh, who is a character who uses a lot of smokes. Uh, and one thing that I would do was I would plant my smoke, my smoke on top of a door frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would activate my big smoke orb. Um, and then I would go to the very back of a long hallway with a slight dip in elevation And then if I crouch, I can see under the bottom of the smoke where people's feet and legs are and then be able to extrapolate where people's heads are. Uh, And because of the way that, like, vision works, right, other people cannot see where I am standing in that situation. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, so that is like a classic, uh, that is like a, a classic example of a one way <sighs> counter strikes are a little bit different, uh, because ability deployment and counter strike works fundamentally differently. Um, and so that's how smokes have worked for years and years and years. You basically make a big texture that people have to shoot through, um, or not, right. I, I presume or, not, the, yeah. or, or, mm-hmm. or like essentially sort of like stops the fight in the area, right? Like a smoke bomb goes down. Okay. Like this, this little area is not going to have yeah. the same feel uh yeah. and and like it's like the the momentum yeah. shifts in a way that is not quite a pause but is definitely uh seems to in many ways run counter to what is an extremely fast game right yeah. like and that uh smokes do slow things down yes exactly like smokes will generally either are a sign that people are about to hit a site a site refers to the bomb site this is just mm-hmm. yeah it either is a sign that people are about to hit a site really hard or really slowly. Um, Counter-Strike 2 is using modeled volumetric smoke. That is like each each wisp of smoke is considered like a cube uh, that is that is being generated. And so the smoke responds to gunfire, both like to geometry in the space and will like wrap itself around aspects of the environment, but also like respond to gunfire. Uh, One of the cool things that I that they showed is like someone firing a handful of shots through the smoke and in doing so this like the bullet disperses the smoke in like a little hole and it's then cool someone looks at the hole snaps through and shoots the person it's sick as fuck yeah, like i don't i could not give less of a shit about counter-strike and I, I watched that clip and was like oh wow that is that is incredible it's sick as hell uh and like genuinely does completely change like the tactical potential of these games uh there was a clip that i saw um that was let me see if i can find it while i describe it uh there's a clip of a um, you know, a content creator playing the game. And uh, what they do is they throw a smoke and then immediately throw a grenade into the smoke to disperse it. Uh, so I've just sent a clip into our Discord chat. Um, and then, so they throw the smoke, smoke opens up, the enemy is like, okay, cool, this area is shut down, right? We can move through this. <laughs> that's that's then really interesting. Then grenade. Grenade disperses the smoke for just a second where the player is already like, okay, I know where these people are going to be crossing. Sees them, snaps, gets three kills, just like nothing. And then mm. as he walks a little bit further in, shots come from behind him through the smoke. And he's like, oh, there's a guy behind me, swings around, gets a 4K, and then almost gets the ace. Uh, and just completely like decimates the enemy team by putting down and then quickly dispersing the smoke. Um, I think it's an interesting example of, I think we often think of 
advancements in technology mm-hmm. and visual fidelity as being achieving some sort of you know photorealism mm-hmm. or or more immersing ourselves in worlds like however you take that but in in this specific example it's it's technology that was not available when you know counter strike was developed uh and it's it's technology impacting design like fundamentally right. impacting yeah. design like something that wasn't possible when this game was around in the you know in the 90s uh early 2000s and maybe it could have been done earlier than 2023 necessarily but to see it deployed here is just a real it's not what you would think of as like I think I saw some of the uh, first responses to seeing like the aesthetic updates it's like oh this doesn't look like tw- you know 20 years of technology it's like well a does counter strike need that and then b when the the thing that people are reacting to the most is not how does you know dust look now, but is like well, act how does the how dust do, how does the, the dust how does look, the yeah. dust look because <laughs> that is like that is gonna have a material effect on the moment to moment, and then that exact clip I think is the like a really signature application of what does that mean for player behavior is 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 wow because it adds a whole new tactical layer of of kind of fuckery to like yeah. how are you messing with players relationship with different visual identities in a game that specifically is being played by people who have more often than not been playing it for years or decades and just tossing that in there as its own sort of like metaphorical grenade is is really delightful even as an outsider um, Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily going to play it yeah i mean like the other thing is that um one this lets people be way more aggressive that is the other, mm-hmm. like this, like the competitive meta is going to shift around this because the ability to disperse a smoke with a grenade means that you're going to have people throwing down smokes for sight hits, blasting a hole through the smoke to just get in there and then letting it close back behind them to protect their rear in a way that is like sick as hell. Um, Balance patches for the smoke. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, this and is the other cool thing. Oh, please cut off. I was just going to say that like, this is a thing in, in Valorant, right? Where there are certain abilities that you can use to, uh, block line of sight that you can also take away. I mean like Viper, right? Viper's abilities yes. are kind of have this off and on switch, but there's like a certain amount of like on and off time. It, you yeah. can't snap it uh, super quickly. And this is for balance oh. reasons as not as quickly as, shooting this smoke right you can make a hole faster in the smoke than you can take down a viper wall and put it back up yes yes that is true right. that is true so it's like it's it's making it for a yeah it, like it, it in in some ways almost feels like a slight response to like the some of the variability you've seen in smokes in a game like valorant where it has like different ability based smokes instead yes. of just a single smoke bomb that everyone can buy this is this is the thing I was thinking of actually, Kata, was the ways in which like the these smoke changes make the like market distinction between Counter-Strike and Valorant so much more clear. Right. Right. Where yeah. like abilities in Valorant, for the most part, do not talk to each other like this. Right. Uh, a character has abilities and they do those abilities unto the world. Sometimes if it's a damage dealing ability, you can interact with other people's other like other people's powers. If they create something that like has health, for example, you can, you know, kill it. Um, in this case, what you're seeing is abilities actively touching one another yeah. uh, in a way that is like has happened in Counter-Strike previously. Uh, it, it used to be that. Uh, for example, if someone threw down a molly in Counter-Strike, you could then dispel it with a smoke. Right. Um, 
So a smoke bomb would dispel that molly and allow you to walk through that space. Uh, what happens now? Oh, it still does that. But now they've almost created a weapon triangle, which is <laughs> uh, smokes beat mollies, grenades beat smokes. Now they just have to find something that grenades can do to mollies. Uh, and then flashbang. And then flashbangs attack the player. Um, hmm. Um, right, because you, so, like, you can use that trick that you, you posted both offensively and defensively, which is interesting, right? Like yep. the way that this guy did it offensively to make them think oh there's a wall we don't have to watch that angle as hard and then and then there wasn't a wall <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have the other clip there's another clip that went that was posted with a volumetric smoke thing where announcement where someone had an op and throws a grenade at their own smoke to punch a hole in it for just long enough to get off an op shot and like part of the part of the cool shit about using the grenades like this is that like you know when you threw the grenade. The other person doesn't know when you threw the grenade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when it when that hole breaks open, you are ready and they are not. Yeah. And like that's a really sick feeling. Um to like be able to like startle someone like that. Um and so yeah, this also seriously changes the way that silenced weapons work and have always worked. Uh, in Counter-Strike, a silenced weapon does not have a bullet trail. Uh, in the original game, uh, in the like Counter-Strike and Counter-Strike Go, uh, they don't have bullet trails. And so one of the things that made silenced weapons really good is that you could spray through a smoke without having to worry about it, uh, without having to worry about people knowing where you are and just like reverse engineering your bullet trajectory. Oh, to shoot so, you now, in the head. so now you may be quiet, but you are making ho- you are piercing, piercing the veil, yep, yeah. so to speak. Yep. <laughs> uh, which is all to say that, like, it's kind of astounding how much of a slam dunk Valve managed to get with Counter-Strike 2, especially given that, like, I'm, I'm going to come to y'all in a moment of honest, and in a, in a, in a, I'm going to ask you as 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 You're media, a big artifacts lover. Just, as members of just, the media, as, as, as fellow critics, have you ever fucking heard of Counter-Strike players being happy? For even a second. For even, that's, for, most, that's most multiplayer for, games, for even, though, right? For I even mean, a moment, no, uh, I you know. know. That's, but Counter-Strike, like, yes. Yes, Patrick, yeah. Have you ever heard of fucking multiplayer video game fans being happy? <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel that's, like that's, that's even more true the longer a game exists, right? Like there are a yeah. few online games that have had the tail that Counter-Strike yeah. has had. And few that have remained, I'm obviously speaking wildly out of pocket here, and you can correct me, but have broadly remained pretty true to the source material. Like where... Like, this started as a Half-Life mod, you know, that, like, my history with it is, like, it was an excuse to get out of the house to go to computer, uh, uh, like, cafes, um, (laughs) which is, like, the only spot you could go to play, like, networked internet prior to, uh, you know, online multiplayer becoming becoming really prominent um, and having access to better computers, frankly. Like, that's where I play a lot of Counter-Strike. I was not there to play Counter-Strike. I was right. there to get out of the house. Um, but that was back when it was a Half-Life mod spun off into its own thing. And, you know, if you don't know what you're talking about, you can look at Counter-Strike 2 and really just see Counter-Strike as you saw it uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways. And I think... That has to create an institutional bias amongst the community towards what they know. And yeah. so I think what you're speaking to is, you know, I I haven't I think you've done more research on this and observation than I have, but what you seem to be telling me is that the kinds of people that would be best prone to be anxious and upset over 
what to me may you know to to, to an average person may seem like they change the smoke and you can shoot the smoke. Okay, like <laughs> yeah. played games that do bigger mechanical it's changes than important. that. <laughs> but like the swing, like the swing that is the possibility space of like what the swing can be in a game like this is much smaller, even if it has large ramifications because it's been around so long. And it sounds like from what you can tell, people are awfully damn happy with the changes they have made, and that is a really difficult thing to pull off, especially because it's not as though Counter-Strike's going early access. Like, let's fuck it up and make some yeah. major changes. It sounds like they've arrived with like a largely like, here's what we've done. Yeah. We're happy with it. How should we tweak it from here? Um, and that is that is a really difficult thing to pull off for the game that has been around for literal decades. And people do seem happy with it, right? Like the lack of counterplay against smokes has been something that people have talked about for you know, Patrick, to to use uh, the, the timeline that you're talking about here for 20 years. Yeah. People have talked about the lack of counterplay against smokes that you have access to for longer than I have been alive um, or about as long as you as I have been alive. Right. <laughs> smokes have been the way that they are for over 20. Years. You know what? Let's it's see. a game that hasn't been reactive. Right. Like lots. You expect games, modern like live service games like the Counter-Strike exists before that is. To even a, th- a thought bubble in people people's head of how you're, you know, and Steam and Valve and Counter-Strike blazed a lot of the trail of, like, what, you know, games like Valorant uh, even do from a design monetization standpoint. Um, sorry, you had a point. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, I, I, I checked. Counter-Strike is as old as I am. Yeah, it's, ni- it's like 1996, 98, no. 98? No, it's 99. Well, actually, 99. it's older than okay. me, but it was released... Uh, officially when was it a mod yes it was originally a mod and then released officially in so the mod is 99 yes it was that makes sense so 85 so it's older than me 14 like i was that's that's about that's i remembered half-life blowing my brain and then uh counter-strike being extremely popular around the same the same time um yeah that's yeah that's about right but again like the fact that it is still it's not just popular and profitable like it is still like a mainstay in the competitive community largely because of what like a lot of the the careful work that valve has done over the years like nudging it along and the fact that they arrive at at two you know two decades into this even though it doesn't necessarily conform to our idea of what a two is because it's an upgrade right it is it is replacing csgo yes that the the press release i got from valve said it was like a free upgrade to csgo which is different than splitting the community, unless I'm I'm misinterpreting. I I the, believe the pitch this is here. I believe this is the case. Although I I assume they'll have like a legacy mode. Right? Like I assume that like what you will be able to do is is open Counter Strike Go through the CS uh, Counter Strike sure. Two launcher. Right? right. That is that is usually what is done in in situations like this. Um, uh, okay. So I just want to put it in perspective, Patrick. How mm-hmm. how. I think it's easy to forget how popular Counter-Strike still actually is. Very easy, because I think lots of people don't play it, even if they play multiplayer games. They consider yeah. Counter-Strike off to the side, a, a separate, separate from thing. those. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to guess uh, uh, Counter-Strike's current uh, concurrence. Right now, at the at the peak of Counter-Strike 2? Oh, we can do we can do three days ago, if you want. Mm, uh, I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass, though. This, this uh, time... Can I get... Can I, this can I, okay, can I ask... What is like Valorant right now? I need like a baseline that I could work. Uh, with. I like, don't believe that. Uh, I those do numbers not are not public because that's that not Riot, Steam, right? Yeah, yeah no. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say 
Is north of 10 million? Is that crazy? I'm just pulling north of 10 million concurrence? Not concurrence. Yeah. We're going, we're going, we're going with concurrent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 1 million. Okay. It's a, it's about 1.1. That was three days ago. Right. Uh, currently it's 1.3 million concurrence, uh, as we're, as we're sitting or 1.4. That's Um, actually, honestly, that that speaks to the fact that it it didn't double, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like it was already remarkably active and just got slightly more active it was not dead game <laughs> no no they they only got a hundred thousand more concurrence than they had this time on march 17th like it's funny it's it, it's a really strike, popular game like it's really popular competitively i just think it is yeah it is not it is one of many games that sort of and you encounter lots of games like this these days and they could be mobile games it could be competitive games games that are extremely popular but just aren't part of the popular discourse right and as such uh, or at least like the sort of like monolithic communal discourse and and thus if you're not in those communities you can just sort of believe that well i know they're there but how popular are they really and like counter-strike is just one of many but it like a moment like this reminds you like how big those individual pockets of community can continue oh. to be oh, or you know puts in perspective how small other ones are right i want yeah. you to guess like the concurrent players for guilty gear strive a game that like uh, has tournaments has made has a had a two hundred thousand dollar tournament no, 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 Patrick, no, no, no. 20,000. No. 5,000. On. No. No. Oh, seven, seven fifty. No. 200. Three, it's about 2,500 average players. Okay. A concurrence uh, average. Um, now, granted, that is, is that game primarily PC? Or that split platform, right? Like the difference here is also that Counter Strike is, although man, that 360 Counter Strike game was extremely popular. Um, uh, I doubt they're going to port this one to consoles, <laughs> but that 360 Counter Strike game, I that was that that was a huge game uh, when I was younger. So uh, to answer your question, Patrick, not yeah. really. Like like it is played on PS. Like a lot of people play on PS4 and PS5. Uh, as their as their primary, but like, th- it's not adding like eight thousand people. Uh, fighting you. games are an extremely, like, compared to something like a Counter Strike, fighting games are wildly niche uh, in a way that is like almost hard to conceptualize um, because of how like large their cultural significance to video games TM uh, <laughs> like actually is. Um, in a way that I find like genuinely really fascinating. Uh, I also think that like, you know, one of the, one of the reasons for that is that for as many people play Counter-Strike, I think that the kind of stories competitively that a game like Counter-Strike generates are so much less readable than something like, for example, Guilty Gear Strive, right? Like if you watch a Guilty Gear Strive tournament, you will be able to get the, if you watch top eights, Patrick, if you, Mm -hmm. if you Patrick stumbled in, to Evo. Well, that's just fighting like, games, oh, right? Who's that's, here? Just, that's just fi- fighting games like flat right. plane, two characters. Like it is narratively, it reads yeah. so much easier than, um, like, you know, I could look at this clip of like the grenade and like, I'm like, oh, that's cool as shit. I can identify that. But if you're then asking me to explain like the dynamics of a match, but that's Counter Strike, that's yeah. Overwatch. I, I mean, I would say the, 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 the aesthetics of Counter Strike make that even more inscrutable. To yeah. like a uh, like at least again like an Overwatch or a Val you know a Valorant like 
you're dealing with like big aesthetically mm-hmm. interesting characters like you can tell the aesthetics are driving readability uh to, to, to some extent counter-strike says two middle fingers like yo this is this, this is just what we look like um right. and i i respect it i, respect I mean it. that's because valorante child's game uh, <laughs> Valor- valorante valorante child's game for children um Kids game cartoon. Not, not realistic cartoon kid game cartoon <laughs> There we go. Uh, uh, sorry, as as people want to say about Valorant, Valorant a child game looked to cartoon graphics to make kid player happy like children's show. Valorant a <laughs> cartoon world with rainbow unlike Counter-Strike with dark corridor and realistic gun. Valorant a like playhouse. Valorant play or run from CSGO fear of dark world and realism. <laughs> as we are all want to say. Uh, yeah, I definitely understand that reference. I get it 100%. <laughs> like... Slam dunk for the for the seven for the seven people who like Waypoint and yeah. also like Valorant. I'm here for you. Hey, Colin <laughs> Joyce, listen to this episode. I'll, I'm gonna message Colin. Colin has my back. Make sure you yeah. Make sure you drop in at the 30 minute marker of this podcast, getting that shout out. Uh, so yeah, well, I, well I'll be curious. Uh, to 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 I don't know. It's just really interesting. I, I was not I was not expecting this. Um, you know, congrats to to the team pulling off something extremely difficult. Um. And I will I will do as I've done in the past and watch Counter Strike through Twitter clips that look sick as shit. Um, so my relationship doesn't <laughs> change, but I'm very happy for all the Counter Strike fans out there. And like one thing that's like small but like tangentially tangentially related, like given that conversation we just had about like the smoke. Uh, finally, Elden Ring uh, in the last 24 hours has gotten a uh, ray tracing patch, uh, and I'm just gonna drop in this uh comparison pick from digital foundry let you know how different elden ring now looks Whoa. with ray ray tracing Shadows. on uh which is to say that it doesn't Shadows. except for a game that already has frame rate problems will just have more of them if you flip flip it on on xbox playstation uh, uh, or, or pc uh, if you, if you scroll down a little bit, uh, in the, if you actually click through, uh, the, the link and you scroll down a little bit, you'll see some, some points, an example of how the, uh, the lighting makes some armor in an interior space look a little nicer, but, um, I don't know. I, ray tracing in general, I have found to be like one of the more overrated technology, like pitches that I have gotten from graphics card companies and video game companies in the, in the past, like five years, I think at some point, when it comes cost free to running a game and they can go a little more buck wild with it, it'll be interesting. But currently not that I expect from software to be at the, you know, <laughs> at the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, implementing things like this, but it's goofy. It's it, goofy. It doesn't it looks change great the game Hitman. at all. Hmm? It looks great in Hitman. It looks great. And so insomniac like ratchet and clank and uh, uh, miles Morales, it looks fantastic there. Um, but they've managed to run a, a really fine line between performance yeah. and 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 uh, you know some of the stuff in Cyberpunk like has, has looked pretty nice. But I just mean broadly speaking, yeah. like ray tracing or not, I choose no. And then I look at a list of games. I've heard like the the, the last Metro Exodus uh, got like a ray tracing update that looked really really nice. But broadly, no no thanks to ray tracing. Um, we'll you see what developers. DLSS. I'm all about DLSS. Yes, yes, but you need DLSS to do ray tracing on Correct. like any like, and Correct. that's the problem with Elden Ring. It lacks DLSS, and so no one's gonna fucking use it. Uh, I cannot believe that game does. Yes, DLSS is sick of shit. Um, 
what may or may not be sick of shit, uh, DDC is uh, going on uh, currently, um, and we've gotten, not surprising, some announcements and talks related to AI starting to incorporate itself into video games. We don't have any details on what Unity is promising. There is, uh, I'll uh, drop this clip for the two of you. It is just a trailer, like, or a teaser from Unity uh, saying that they are going to be incorporating uh, AI uh, to some degree into their tool set. Uh, you can apply to be a Unity AI insider. Uh, so we don't have details on exactly how that is going to work out. It is not shocking that the rapid proliferation and expansion of AI, especially in the last six to nine months, would then start working its way into game development. There are some similar sort of suspicions and worries about Ubisoft announcing uh, a new tool set, uh, which they are calling Ghostwriter. Um, there was a talk uh, about it at GDC this year. There's a great write-up over at gamedeveloper.com called Hear More Details on Ubisoft's Ghostwriter AI Tool from GDC uh, 2023. I think it's worth reading a little bit from this to sort of explain exactly what Ubisoft is is going for here. Plenty of reason to be cynical about Ubisoft, and especially for the style of games they make and uh, the labor practices uh, that have uh, been unearthed at that uh, company in recent years. Uh, but let me just quote a couple uh, uh, paragraphs from uh, from this. So uh, this is from the GameDeveloper.com uh, write-up from uh, Ubisoft researcher Ben Swanson. Uh, uh, Swanson said that Ubisoft has decided that its Ghostwriter tool is best used to support the process of writing different kinds of barks, background lines, and text for user interface. Ghostwriter is explicitly not being used for cinematics or lore, backstory, world ideas, the kind of thing a Dwarf Fortress might be able to actually generate. Not content, not content to just talk theoretically about the tool, uh, Swanson also took time to show it in action. Ubisoft is directly inter- integrating Ghostwriter into its general narrative tool called Omen. When Ubisoft writers are creating NPCs, they're able to create cells that contain barks about different topics. An NPC named Gaspard might want to talk about being hungry or speeding while driving a car. To generate lines about speeding, the writer can either write their own barks or click on the Ghostwriter tool to generate lines about, the to- about that topic. Ghostwriter is able to generate these lines by combining the writer's input with input from a different large uh, from different large language models. First, the writer clicks the Ghostwriter button. Then they're given two possible outputs. Then they're given the option to accept the line, edit it, or ditch it entirely. He compared this process to rolling a 30,000-side die that referenced words and then having software that checked what word the number you rolled corresponded to. Then it rolls the die over and over and over again to build a sentence using sample data sets to put the words in a functional order. A solid chunk of Swanson's talk was for dedicated machine learning experts in the room and discussed how to train large language models so that Ghostwriter isn't just pumping out repetitive lines. He noted at one point that large language learning models tend to emulate the patterns they've been trained on and will keep repeating them if they aren't guided with multiple inputs. And the last thing I would note uh, here before we talk about it is that uh, Liz England, who's a game director over at Possibility Space, worked on a lot of the systemic elements of most recently uh, Watchdog uh, Legion. Um, it tweeted out uh, sort of a response to a, uh, a news write-up about this tool. Uh, and, and Liz uh, writes here in a tweet, uh, my game dev mutuals, please, I love you, but don't love your immediate knee-jerk reactions to this. I attended this talk. It was fantastic. Gold standard of how to integrate this tech into your development in direct collaboration with writers and using their own data sets. Uh, Ren, what is what is your response to Ghostwriter, uh, even as someone like Liz, you know, someone we've talked about in the show and have a lot of respect for, uh, sort of says to pump the brakes on the immediate reaction being, this this is scary. <sighs> I think that 
you know, like any tool, there is a world in which people use this responsibly and in good faith. Uh, however, like what I think of something, for example, like like Dwarf Fortress, uh, which has, you know, procedurally generated text, procedurally generated items built from uh, the game's own corpus uh, that the, the developers have created. Right. Uh, or Caves of Could, a game that I really, really love and like play regularly. I can if I if I right now wanted to, I can open up a text document uh, and look at the corpus that Caves of Could uses to generate its procedurally generated writing. These corpus? tools, yeah, corpus, like a body of uh, text. So, okay. for example, uh, all AI or all AI like these, like machine learning, is trained on a corpus, which refers to like the sum total of data that the thing is being trained on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can look at the corpus for something like, um, you know, uh, uh, Caves of Could right now. And that's great. However, the thing that's worth noting is that the Caves of Could corpus was written by a human being, was like written by a person who knew that they were writing the corpus for Caves of Could uh, to, to do this particular thing, right? Uh, point A. And point B, that game also has a lot of handwritten text in it, written by a writer. And so, you know, part of the function of you know, the books, the procedurally generated books in Caves of Khud's world is to have there be books in the world, right? Objects in the world while still also, you know, people like information, people like finding books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you can find some like cute lines uh, in the procedurally generated content. Uh, And then it also means that like when you find a real book that was written by a person and like has the special text, it's like really exciting. Um, And you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference immediately. And sometimes they're a little bit combined. Uh, You know, one of my favorite things about Caves of Could is that every single time you play that game, the cures for fungal infections change. Uh, And the book that contains all of the cures for fungal infections changes in response to what the particular cures are in this instance of the world. I think that's like, you know, a a fun little detail. And so like tools to assist writers in generating text have existed for a really long time, right? The thing that worries me uh, is giving this technology to a company that has shown, or to companies, plural, if you don't want to just like call out Ubisoft here, companies that have shown time and time and time again that their primary interest is going to be in shaving off the amount of cost that is being devoted to, you know, writing budgets. And so having one person who can now generate, you know, three times the amount of barks, that will not be used for the good thing of freeing that person up to do more bespoke authored writing it just won't that that will not that will not be happening instead it will be we're going to cut staff and retain the same amount of authored con- like bespoke authored content that we had originally scoped for um or that we had originally overscoped um you know in a perfect world this would let this would reduce workload on developers, but like I don't trust companies to be able to use these tools responsibly. 
And like that is that is true for me of so much of machine learning and, you know, what we call AI right now is the fact that like you cannot trust the people who are actually making these tools. Even if you can trust an individual using them, I do not trust institutions to be able to wield them responsibly because I don't trust institutions to wield any tools responsibly uh, if I if I'm being wholly honest. Yeah, um, there's a reason to be cynical. It's an earned cynicism. Um, even if, you know, I, I trust what, as, you know, Liz England is, po- is pointing out, that there could be really good uses for it for writers, especially in games that have enormous amounts of low-level text that does not mm-hmm. necessarily require, like, deep levels of authorship or needs tweaking. Like, it's it's not hard to imagine, you know, when you work working on big, and especially, like, live service games that require enormous amounts of low-level text that how something like this could be useful if it already it begins to understand like the tone and flow of the mm-hmm. game and characters and world. Uh, one thing that it was noted by uh, I think it was uh, Mitch Dyer, who's a former uh, writer over at uh, IGN, does a lot of games writing uh, uh, since uh, leaving uh, the editorial space. Uh, so the term "bark" uh, is 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 like a pretty specific term used in video games for again a lot of this like low level kind of often repetitive text like barks could be as simple as like when you listen to vo actors go into a a booth and they're like we need you to grunt like a hundred different ways um and those those grunts are like variations of those grunts might be written by those are written by somebody yeah um and and what mitch was pointing out was that when they were getting started as a writer in games one of the most useful exercises they went through was literally doing this sort of like thankless kind of grunt level work of this is such a huge component of games Mm -hmm. and games writing. It's overlooked. It's misunderstood. It's easily underappreciated because it's meant to broadly just not be seen by the player. It's, it's existed like it's part of the world, but is not necessarily the front facing lore cutscene stuff, but is nonetheless deeply required to make the atmospheres of the game worlds that we enjoy frequently work. uh, And that, there was a, a worry that if you start taking away these stepping stones for folks to understand games writing, to have like entry level kind of like writing work, like are you just then also consolidating like a lack of mentorship, a lack of entryway into f- like fundamentally understanding games writing? Maybe the response to that from the pro AI crowd would be, well, you know, you'll see this amongst a lot of people. It's like, well, you just get really good at prompts. Right. You know, like you see this when you, you know, folks talk about like the, the, the generators for um, visual stuff, especially it's like, well, OK, maybe like we're running artists out of business, but like you'll just get really good at being able to program and prompt the the algorithm. And like that becomes its own form of, of creativity. And I think there's a an understandable worry that in the same way you're talking about where in, an, in a more utopian world, it's like, great, this frees up people to spend their their brains, their creative space on the stuff that really, really, really matters, the high-level writing, well, the stuff, stuff you that want to excites apply. them. Not, not that matters, but that it, but that excites them. It matters I think that's, to them, that's right? F- yeah, like, matters exactly. to them. Like, the, the personal perception of the creative. And and then I also worry from, like, a broader uh, sort of, you know, creative perspective. Like, what, what does this do when you start removing these planks for folks to work with from being able to even understand how games are built? Does that end up either... Uh, giving people like less of an entryway into it. Maybe that comes in a different form. I don't know, but there are, you cannot pretend that there aren't ramifications unforeseen as best as you can try and imagine the best case scenarios for tools like this. And 
I think the worry is, and we've already seen this play out, you know, uh, I think it's, mm, I don't want to name the publication in case I'm wrong. Uh, but like we have seen in media, like AI already partnering uh, with uh, different media organizations to write up articles. And we have seen that go extremely poorly, both from a factual basis and also from a labor perspective, because it is being used as justification. I know like BuzzFeed, for example, has said that they are going to use uh, AI partnerships in writing to like do their polls. And like, okay, um, well, that used to be work that was done by people. And now that will be done by the algorithm. And maybe there's a person that is there doing the prompts, editing it to make sure it sounds like funny and cute. Um, but it's not 10 people anymore. Um, and and I, I think that you can see a direct line between the worries that you have, Ren, and what we're already seeing play out with prompts being integrated into, uh, you know, editorial on mm-hmm. our side. You know, I um, if only there was like, I don't know, some kind of like twine game released in like i don't know 2015 by someone affiliated uh with with waypoint that kind of explored these exact questions that'd be Mm -hmm. that'd be wild um if if that was the case um interesting search a century and austin walker game with art by steve kim and music by scott allum um I, i remember oh god i remember playing this initially but this is all to say that i mean like generative text like this is it's a tool that I just don't trust people to be able to use well. Uh, and like, I, I hate the prompt shit. I hate the get really good at prompting something shit so much. Uh, Cause like one of the things that I see in um, even among writers, which is the, which is, let me just say real fucking embarrassing. Uh, there have been like, you know, I've seen some like artists like shopping around, like shop, like posting some like other people's tweets, screenshots of tweets where people are like, yeah, I mean, you know, this is just democratizing art, you know, like, you know, we writers, like, art is so hard. It's a, like, it's, it's, you know, not everyone can do it, which is, it's, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. Anytime you're like, damn, it's not everyone can do this. This is going to, this tech, this technology is going to democratize whatever field you're interacting with. The tech is never going to democratize the field ever. It will, it will, it will never do it. It will only lead to one, uh, poor work, Two, poor work that is severely undervalued and underpaid. Um, and three, it, it's just like, I don't know, it's not joyous. Like it like the the process of making I mean, like art. it's it's well it's what's it, the, the ironic part is is unity, you know, was frequently associated with this term democratizing game development because mm-hmm. there is there is making tools more accessible, affordable, easy mm-hmm. to use to to reduce the friction between I have an idea and I'd like to execute that idea. Um, but there are many ways that that can go wrong as well. Like, you know, I, I saw a recent example of, you know, some of these machine learning tools, these 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 AIs can take an idea and turn it into code. And that we're not far away from if Patrick had an idea for like a basic platformer can describe it. And am I going to go code it? No, but that I could put that into some sort of prompt and that would result in some sort of base level game that I could interact with and play with. And I, you know, I don't want to be a game designer. This is not my pursuit, but I I can't help, you know, that also sounds kind of cool, but that is also the allure of many of these things is they can sound kind of cool. We got to make sure we're thinking through uh, the consequences uh, as well, but we'll be dealing with those consequences for another 500 episodes of waypoint radio. So, you know, we're good to go. 
I, I just want to I want to add one more thing. If you're ever sitting there being like, "Damn, I wish I, I wish I had a generative AI to help me learn this skill or, or complete this project," just ask a human person. I'm sure you know someone who knows how to do this shit. Are you kidding me? Are you comedy joking me? You know a programmer. Fuck off. <laughs> like 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 whatever. The Luddites. You know right. someone who knows how to do this. You know someone who knows how to write. You know someone who knows how to draw. They can they can probably teach you the basics or give you an insight into how to learn the basics. Like th- these are this this information is accessible. Well, actually, the information is accessible for as long as Google still fucking works, which every day it works worse and worse and worse. Um because of tools like this. Uh, because of the ability to like generate garbage information on the fly, the tools for learning are going to get worse. And like my most like harsh read of of generative AI stuff, and and one that I saw you know online a, a day or two ago. I wish I could remember who said it so I could credit them properly. Is that like one thing I'll say is like you are training these. If you are using these models, you are training them. You are you are letting them become better and generate more and more accurate text uh, through through training. And, like, eventually that text is going to flood everything uh, and, like, suddenly finding information online is going to get increasingly difficult, uh, even if that is, like, basic information. Like, how do I program someone jumping in a video game? Uh, and, like, this this stuff does have some systemic consequences that are worth really thinking through if you're going to use it. All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then we can hopefully finally answer the question of what is Redfall? Because that has been a a question that has plagued uh, Waypoint for a bit. Uh, During the break, actually, uh, you're going to be able to listen to an interview uh, that I did uh, this week. Uh, I did a a short interview with, well, I'm just going to call them Daniel because the whole pronunciation of their last name is actually... A fun little bit uh, from the beginning of the interview. They're the uh, designer of Storyteller, a game that Kato and I uh, played, uh, I think, last summer as part of one of the Steam Next Fest like demo uh, showcases. Uh, it's a game where you are uh, like you give in a prompt like uh, man like is heartbroken because of woman or whatever or like person is heartbroken because of other person mm-hmm. and then you have like three different windows and you have different settings you can put in those windows like wedding uh uh death like revive and you are and then you have characters you can place in those settings and you're creating behaviors for those characters so in the case of like person heartbroken you know it could be like you in the thir- in the first box you put uh, a chapel, like the wedding thing. And then you put these two characters and they get a heart on top of them. And that establishes a behavior between those two characters that is remembered in the the next spaces. Like that is not forgotten. That is like an actual like learned behavior uh, uh, for or characteristic for those characters you put in that scene. So then when you go to the next scene and I let's say I put the tombstone scene and then mm-hmm. I can attach the one of the characters to that tombstone and then I can put the other character uh, next to it, observing the tombstone, and the implication there is because they fell in love, they are now sad because that person died. Um, and like that is how you start creating these sort of like puzzles that the player is then working through. I've played the game uh, will be out uh, as of you listening uh, to this uh, episode of Waypoint Radio. I've I'll talk about the game more on on Monday, but I had I've been playing 
uh, quite a bit of the the finished version. And hey, the demo was awesome. And shock, the finished game <laughs> is also awesome. I, I cannot recommend it uh, more highly. It is just a, a delight to uh, play around with. And the 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 ten plus year journey of this game. Uh, going from, uh, I, you know, I, actually, oddly enough, uh, winning a Nuovo Award at the uh, Independent Games Festival. The Nuovo Award is generally reserved for games that uh, are, like, trying really interesting design ideas. You know, games like A Cart Life, are, are, uh, you know, which is also, <laughs> weirdly, also came back uh, this week after being away for a number of years. Uh, it's a really interesting story of how this game uh, gets from being an IGF uh, Nuovo winner to disappearing quote unquote, disappearing for 10 years and then arriving, uh, partnered with Annapurna uh, on Steam and on Switch. So uh, let's throw over to that interview and a break, and uh, we'll be back to talk about some more games. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome to another special segment of Waypoint Radio. We've been fortunate enough in the last couple of months to start kind of incorporating a bunch of interviews into the uh, twice a week podcast that we do uh, over here at Waypoint. And I've been excited about this game uh, since uh, I think it was last summer when uh, Kato and I had a chance to play the demo on Steam. It's a game called Storyteller, uh, a game where you are creating your own stories using these different tools to kind of solve puzzles while telling stories and this kind of in, like intersection between creativity and puzzle solving and just an extremely cute uh, aesthetic had us very charmed and excited to actually see what the full game was all about. And uh, I am uh, delighted to be joined by... I'm just I'm just gonna say it, and then we can go from there. But uh, designer <laughs> Daniel Benmerji, which I will say, Daniel, I watched three or four different YouTube videos, and that seemed to be the pronunciation I fell on. But as I tried to go over this ahead of this interview, you just kind of told me that I could say it however I wanted, which then made me feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's often the the thing is if I correct you. They say, well, we we often say Ben Mergi. Mm, okay. Like the okay. pronunciation is tricky. Like that 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 tongue movement is very tricky for uh, English speaking people. Yeah. Uh, well, um, I appreciate the low bar for me and others, but my guess is my guess is that low bar exists because because it is true. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. It is. <laughs> So, Storyteller, uh, by the time people hear this, I think will be out or just on the verge of coming coming out. Um, you've been working on this game for an extremely long time, more than a decade. Um, why don't you just set up for people, what is Storyteller? What are the kind of the basic mechanics of the game? So, the idea behind Storyteller is that uh, you, you need to build stories by drag and dropping characters into a comic strip. Uh, it's a very simple interaction. And as you do that, you know, a plot builds as characters react to each other, like falling in love or, you know, uh, someone getting angry at somebody else. And a, a plot develops and uh, a story builds. So each level has a title, that uh, predefined title, and you, uh, the goal is for you to make a story that fits that title. Like, say, uh, Murder of Jealousy, right? And you're given a bunch of characters, and then you can need to place characters into the comic and they are going to react to each other. You need to use that to make a murder of jealousy, right? The game has a, like a technology that, you know, builds stories and can detect whether your story fits the title or not. 
this game, uh, you know, originally won a uh, IGF Nuovo Award, which if you go and look up the history of games that have won that, you know, it is really, it, it's often celebrating games with like a really unique idea, um, uh, like really celebrating like eccentric and interesting design uh, in games. And well, that was 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> I think, I think in 2012, what was, what was the plan in 2012 when you built the prototype, the original design? What you know, coming off the stage, winning that, what did you think the next, you know, couple of years was in store for you? Yeah, well, so when I won the award, I thought uh, I would take a couple, like uh, two years, a couple mean two years uh, to actually ship the thing. But it turns out that as I, as I was working on it, I realized that uh, some design challenges, I was not able to solve them with the experience I had. So the thing is, when I when I uh, when the game won an award, I was I only had a couple of years making independent video games, so my my game design skills I don't think were up to par uh, back in 2012 to actually solve the hard design challenges that making a game like this uh, need need to be solved. I, I wasn't able back then, so at, at some point I was like, well. Um, I'm going to take the time to actually do this right. I don't want to, you know, ship a game that I'm not satisfied with. And that, you know, took, and that took like 10 years. <laughs> was was this kind of the difference between a prototype, which is sort of, you know, uh, like a, a nugget of an idea you've, you, you've managed to kind of like stumble into something that works. Like, oh, when you show it to people and people play with it for a couple of minutes, like, aha, this is amazing. Now just go do like 15 hours of that. And then when you had to do that part, is that where you suddenly realized, oh, no, I don't necessarily have answers to the questions that are raised of doing this beyond the prototype? Right. So I, I would say that even the prototype, you know, had a bunch of levels, but it was it felt like it was very hard to understand for people. It was very hard for people to understand how to play the prototype back in the day. There were just too many moving parts in the game back then. And, and so people had trouble uh, working their minds around the, the mechanics of Sword Shadow. So the, the biggest challenge was uh, so to solve that problem. You know, how, how can we communicate the game in a way that is effective and, and that you can enjoy the building story part of it instead of struggling to understand the basic mechanics, right? So that was problem number one. Problem number two was that there was an idea that I didn't have back then that only came up to me when I restarted the game uh, three years ago uh, when we signed up with Annapurna. Uh, that uh, made the original prototype be very limited in in terms of how many different things it could do, and it was it was you know I was stuck there, uh, not being able to take the game uh, uh, to make the game bigger, as you say. Uh, because we're lacking a very poor idea that showed up recently. Uh, so back in the day, we only had characters, so you only place characters into empty vignettes, right? Mm -hmm. You only drag and drop characters. But uh, uh, the current version of Storyteller, you also need to track a setting. So every action, every panel uh, needs a setting, right? So there's a marriage setting where people can get married or reject each other. And there's the setting, the cliff setting, where characters can, you know, just just hang, or uh, you know, one can push the other because they hate 
hate each other or something. <laughs> so each setting uh, gives a context to the character action, right? So we didn't have that idea back back uh, when when I was developing the prototype. So uh, that was the second problem that we that we needed to solve. How how can we make the game extensible, right? How can we add small ideas into the game and you know being able to be, build a bunch of levels out of that? Is is there is there kind of a was there a eureka moment for that, for lack of a better term, where you, that just kind of came to you? Was that an idea that was kind of shaped and evolved over time? Like, you know, obviously describing it now, it seems like not obvious, but like it's a very it's a fully formed idea. How, obviously, that's not how game development works. Um, it's a lot of chipping at a stone that you don't understand until you step back and realize you have an idea that works. Right. So I think this uh, one interesting thing that I figured out that I discovered while making this game is that when you're trying to solve hard problems, uh, one very effective technique is to, when you get stuck, is to just drop it and go do something else for a while. And I'm, I know, I don't mean a while, I don't mean a break. I mean, go do something else for six months or a year, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so every time I did that with Storyteller, I did that like three times. Every time I did that, when I went back to the game, I just took a look at it and I was like, oh, wait, that's, it's obvious. What it to, right? <laughs> so I didn't even need to think about it. I just look at the game and the answer was just there, right? Uh, so I guess a lot of the design, like the hard design problems of Storyteller were solved by not doing anything. <laughs> well, it sounds like you, you just did like a, a long version of, like I know that when I'm trying to think through something, if I go on a run, right, where I'm, I'm listening to music or a podcast and my brain's not even working through whatever problem I had at work or my personal life. And then like halfway through that run, I'll be, it'll just come to me. And it's like, oh, I just should have done that. It's like, oh, all right. Well, <laughs> it's like you just transform that into instead of a shower idea or an exercise idea. It's like, I'm just going to like disappear, do something else for 18 months. And then it'll just be, become clear to me. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I mean, it, I, I, I do. I do think the shower time works at a bigger scale. I mean, the bigger the problem the more shower time right? <laughs> taking extremely long shot. How, what's your water bill like out there? You know, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about the utility bills uh, at your place. Yo, man, I could, I could feel so many pulls with the shower times. <laughs> uh, so uh, taking extended uh, absence like that, you know, I looked on, you know, when you look at the game on steam, uh, Frequently, it's a studio that's listed as the developer. Your name is listed as a developer. You click on that. You know, you get one other game that you published, I think, back in 2017. What What are you doing over this 10-year period? Are you Are you still working as a designer? Like, what is sort of – usually, the, the you know, what, what, what can happen is if you win an award like the Nuovo Award, it's like, okay, well, there's an urgency to get it out and to capitalize on the attention and – Hopefully you can find, you know, then it sells and then you can keep making games. And so to take the time off that you did suggest to me that other things were happening. Yeah, well, actually, I would say, like, if I had to go back, I would probably ship the prototype version. And I would have made a bunch of money if I did that back in the day. <laughs> I mean, if, if you remember, that was a different time. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was before even green light on Steam. Right, because this is like Braid, Cart Life, like that. So, you know, it was interesting seeing that news about Cart Life also coming back uh, th- this week. Because as soon as I was researching Storytellers uh, IGF Origins, 
It's like, oh, wow. I and mean, that's back when I lived in San Francisco, attended a lot of those events. I'm like, man, I just remember it was a certain type of era for independent game development. And it's interesting how your game started there and then ends up in this much, you know, partnering with Annapurna, right? Like stuff like that didn't exist uh, back then. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So if I, if, I did, if I did ship the game back then, I would have made a bunch of money, would have feel very unsatisfied with the game I shipped. But you know what? With that money, I could just make Storyteller or two. <laughs> same in the same spot. I have. I will have a lot of money. <laughs> you can take all the showers you want if you would just ship that prototype right away. <laughs> I could shower in almond milk or something. <laughs> um, but were you working as a designer, or like, did you sort of like walk outside? No, no, of, no. Okay. I mean, actually, a lot of the a lot of that decade, I spent working on Storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it just, you know, a lot of back and forth. I threw out tons of work or sorry, like tons, like tons of hours of work just went down the drain because, you know, I pursued some idea that didn't pan out. Uh, um, there was a lot of working on storyteller. And at some point when I got tired and, you know, I was being fed up and I burnt out from working on it, I, I, um, I already had a team back then. I mean, a team it's, it was, it's. The same teams that, that made this version of Storyteller, which is three people, right? Mm-hmm. It's a three people team. So I had a team and it was like, you know what? Let's do a smaller, more tractable game. Uh, so we can ship something quickly and, and then we can go back to Storyteller because we're stuck, right? Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not getting anywhere. So let's, let's, uh, um, let's do something else. That something else turned into a five year long. <laughs> I'm no, I gotta be honest. I'm noticing a pattern with you. Um, <laughs> I feel like I, I, you know, if we were hanging out at GDC, it's like, do you want to get a coffee? It's like, well, then Patrick disappeared for two years and didn't see his family. Like, and like he was fine. He wasn't kidnapped, but he hung out with Daniel and just, uh, you know, a coffee was was. They started a coffee empire for two years. Yeah. Well, you you know, there's a contract. I signed the, when I decided to take this break game. Uh, the first one was called Ernesto, which is a full game that I never shipped, actually. I mean, it's, it's not completed, that it lacks the last 20%, but I have a full game back here that nobody played, mm-hmm. that that we made with the team, it has soundtrack, it has all the art, like, we never, we never did the last 20%, uh, so we never shipped it, but when I started that project, some friends uh, came uh, from, from Canada, and uh i signed i I was i was drunk at this party and i and i and they were they were they were implying that i would take a long time to finish my side project right because they knew (laughs) so i was like no i was like no this i'm going to sign a contract right now and so i signed a contract in a pizza box that said i would take six months to finish my side project and it took four years and i never even shipped it I mean, that's an accomplishment all its own. How can you not respect it? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I take a long time to do stuff. But, but it sounds like the way you're describing the arc of all this is that even though you could have gone about arriving at this moment with Storyteller in different ways, and maybe you can see that more clearly with hindsight, like so many things in life, that you seem pretty content with having gone through the journey you did go through to arrive at this moment with a game that you sound pretty happy about. Yeah, well, I am. Or are you? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, 
actually people people ask me that that question. I don't know what to answer yet. I mean, I, I guess it's a how can you how can you judge this intensely personal experience over the course of a decade relative to me downloading a demo and being like, this is really cute and interesting. <laughs> right, right. So the thing is, I am satisfied about what we're shipping with the game, which is a lot better than than how I felt back when I was making the prototyping, which I was I was feeling that this again i don't want to give these to people right mm-hmm. so i'm fine with people just playing storyteller there's so much more it's just that there's so much more that this mechanic can give that you know we can only make use of a fraction of it for this version of the game there's more stuff so at some point i was like yeah i want i want to do everything i want the game to be huge and at some point i had to start cutting down because it was it was it was taking forever and the good thing about working with the publisher is that you know dates are are pretty solid right yeah. <laughs> so so you're saying, I, I assume your contract with Annapurna was not on a pizza box. I mean, I know a bunch of the folks over there. Like, I know Nate. I know, you know, like, I, I know a lot of that crew. And it's like, I feel like it's a little more formal than a pizza box. Maybe not that much more formal, but just a tiny bit more. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they, were, they were like, I mean, and, and we went a bit over time, actually. It was supposed to take two years, and it was three. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, at some point, it was good to just, you know, just wrap what we have and right. we, what we feel confident about and let's ship that and let's see what happens afterwards. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe we can, I mean, there's, there's definitely ideas to do more stuff with sort of, uh, than this just vanilla, vanilla version that we're shipping. Uh, but getting something out there is something I really, that my team and myself really needed. But in terms of how I feel about it, it's like, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Like they gave me shipping two days and I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I don't know. It's, I'm, it's just, I'm a bit numb from all the time I spent fantasizing about shipping this game. And now that it's happening, I'm, I'm a bit in shock. <laughs> you know, to, to speak to the game specifically, uh, what I was really struck by in playing the demo last year was, and I have to imagine this was a difficult line to straddle for you as a, as a designer is you allow a lot of player creativity in the solutions they arrive at where you are trying to solve kind of a puzzle in front of you, but the game isn't necessarily prescribing, at least in its like default modes, right? Like that, hey, you gotta, it's gotta be exactly fit these Tetris block pieces in as story and you and you solve the puzzle. It's more, here's kind of a general prompt and like a way to the end and what kind of a creativity do you want to express along the way? Was there like attention as a designer of like wanting to create something very clever that was very tight, but that might've actually restricted the player's ability to sort of express themselves with the tools that you were giving them. Yeah. So it was sort of, there is a balance was a balance between two things, two competing things. One is that the story simulator, uh, that is running the game, you know, it doesn't care about the levels. It doesn't know anything about that. It just, you know, it just runs the story, right? It just, it just uses the element you put into the comic strip to build a story. And on the other hand, uh, you know, I, I wanted to avoid the the scribble notes syndrome. Mm-hmm. I call it that. Yeah, I remember that 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 scribble notes game in which you could type uh, objects like you could type ball and gun, and the game would make a gun, a, a gun or a ball pop up, pop up, and um, you know, it was it was pretty amazing because you could type anything, and the game would you know, we just spawn a vampires if, if you type vampire. And I, I love that game. But the thing is, most of the challenges the game threw at me, I, I, I just solved by typing gun. 
right? So that, that was that that was a lot of my issue with it too, was I don't consider myself particularly a creative person. And so I would rely on the same blunt force, repetitive solutions to a lot of problems. And it's like I needed the game to like to put me in a tighter box. Like we, we're gonna push you to be more creative. Or else I'm going to do, like you said, is just like spawn gun and the game says, you did it. And it's like, all right, well, that didn't that didn't feel very satisfying. It doesn't feel like what the game wanted me to do. It just sort of satisfied the the win condition. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, use the toolbox. And if you're only using one tool, it feels it feels a bit broken, right? So so on one hand, there's a story simulator that they can't do anything as long as, you know, as long as it, you have frames, you have more panels. I mean, it will keep going and, you know, keep building the story. Uh, and I understand it. I mean, I programmed it, I designed it, I, I debugged it, I, I debugged it. Like I did all that, but it's a monster. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't really know how it's going to work, uh, once it's out there and people have their hands on it. Like most of the people, I mean, we play tested the shit out of it and, 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 and it was, uh, and, it, and it's pretty dark, but that's still, it's a monster. I don't know. There are corner cases, there's special situations and all that. And, and the levels themselves, they only check from the prompts, right? So if I say murder of jealousy, the level is only seeing there was a murder of jealousy. It doesn't, it doesn't care how you got there, right? Mm-hmm. So those two things, uh, means that there's some wiggle room in the middle where people may find alternative solutions to some of the levels. And we try to squash those down, like that, like the bad solutions, like cheap solutions, like like just type gun solutions. Yeah. We try to get rid of them in order for you, you know, to have enjoy to have an enjoy enjoyable experience where you uh where you get to work on the muscle of you know how do I build a story with these constraints, right? Because that that's what storyteller is about. It's like getting you to think about how how to make a story that fulfills several constraints right you can you can't just use everything or do anything there's some some restrictions and how do you make it happen right so in order to do that we we refine that balance a lot between freedom and and uh making the levels interesting um but you know some people are going to feel that they wish it had more freedom and some people are going to feel like they wanted more guidance in terms of the puzzles. You know, it's a balance. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we did our best to try to make storyteller feel like a good balance, but it's just one balance, right? When the demo was out, it was probably one of the opportunities where you got to see people start picking it apart and, and you know, having throwing thousands of people at a thing is different than any testing you're doing internally or with contracting companies. And so were there were things that pe- that surprised you about the way people like broke the game, like in good and in bad ways? Like what, what did you observe once you had to, you know, kind of watch a bunch of people playing the game for the first time? So I think uh, some people found, found problems or, you know, corner cases, uh, which, you know, it was to be expected. Uh, um, I think the most interesting thing was the expectations that people have about, about how characters should behave or what freedoms they could have. Like one of the most requested things for storyteller is to be able to do the same things with uh, all genders in the game, mm. all, all gender characters in the game. Like I want to, yeah, I know this is a Genesis story, but I want I want to make make it be Adam the one with the apple, right? Gotcha. The story. So that, that that was the most requested thing. 
Um, but the people definitely found some corner cases in the game, which were funny back in the day. But the thing is, this version that we're shipping now, the full version, gives you a lot more tools. So uh, the danger is way higher now uh, <laughs> with, with the actual game because you have you, you have levels with eight panels and in giant toolboxes. And uh, so there's a lot more room for people to break, quote unquote, break the game, mm-hmm. right? One thing, uh, maybe the question I want to leave this conversation on is one that I like asking a lot of developers before their their game comes out. But is there something tiny about the game that isn't the sort of thing that would normally come up in like a conversation like this or in a trailer or like in a press release? But something now as you look at the game, you're just like really proud uh, or or think is funny. Just like some small detail about the game that you think is worth pointing out and kind of uh, championing uh, as, as something that managed to get into the game. Well, one thing that I'd be pretty proud about for this game is that, you know, again, we give you the tools, like we give you characters, and you place characters and make, you know, stuff happen. And maybe you just want to fulfill the goal that you were given, so you're just placing stuff, you know, in order to achieve the murder of jealousy, right? So you're only thinking about that. But the truth is, with the tools that we give you, you can do anything that the toolbox allows, right? So you can use the character for this. You can make any kind, any any kind of things. So if you go off the path, the main path of trying to solve the puzzles, you can create some really weird situations. So and and we tried to find them all and have something to give you in exchange for them. Maybe it's just you know custom animation, custom sounds, or an achievement. But if you start doing weird stuff with Storyteller, <laughs> uh, the game will hopefully notice that you did something weird and give you something for it. That's one thing that I'm pretty proud about. And not a lot of people are going to find. Uh, well, that's very cool. Well, Daniel, I uh, super appreciate uh, the time. Uh, Storyteller is uh, out on March 23rd uh, for the for PC and Switch, right? Those are the two platforms we're launching yeah. on. Yes. Um, It'll be on my Steam Deck. That is my. I know it's not an official platform, but that's where I'll probably try and <laughs> try and play. Try and play it. Well, yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, but congrats uh, to getting the end of of a te- you know a tennis year journey. The game looks extremely cool. I'm excited to uh, play more of it. And uh, thank you for uh, giving us some of your time as you as you head up to launch. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Yeah. 
Uh, my thanks to Daniel uh, for uh, kind of. I'm almost tempted to have you just place their them pronouncing yeah. their last name in there. Yeah. If you want to just uh, sure. do a little editing magic um, uh, <laughs> for for chatting with me, that was. You know, sometimes you go into an interview and you can just tell the energy is good right away. Like sometimes I will. Like my interview style is to not prep a ton of questions. I will, mm-hmm. even though I've done this for 20 plus years, I will just come up with some bullet points as a way that, well, inevitably this will be the interview where I forget how to have a conversation and I'll have mm-hmm. to ask about something. And it's just a way that I'll fall back yeah. mentally before the interview starts. And then once it goes, it's like, oops, there went, you know, half an hour, there went an hour. Um this one just two minutes in was just like okay, all right. Well, I don't got to do any work here. This is just going to be a fun one. So, speaking of interviews like that, I had one yes. of those interviews with Harvey Smith. Yeah, Harvey Smith is also uh, one of the one of the Waypoint OGs. Uh, I believe uh, Austin and I had Harvey on uh, really early in uh, Waypoint's run. Uh, Harvey has always been someone easy to talk to, and I'm hoping. Someone uh, both easy to talk to and also capable of answering. Again, the question that has been genuinely kind of stressing uh, this podcast as we try to figure out, is this game for us? Or if it is for us, who on this call is it for? Redfall. Ren, you went to an event recently. You've seen the game. You've played the game. You've talked to people working on the game. I've done all of these things. What do you make? What is Redfall? All right. So, Redfall has been compared by by Smith, by others, to Stalker and to Far Cry Two, and Left for Dead. That was an early. early, I don't. I don't know if the audience. I don't know. We did that. That was y'all. That That was y'all. And I said it was wrong from the fucking jump. I stand by that shit. I was right. Okay, I'm like a team based fighting waves of enemies is not like an unfair it's not comparison. Wave, it's not wave based. I know, but it was not. Like, I'm just saying. Like, yeah. I don't know that you need to pull out the two middle fingers for making that comparison. <laughs> no, I did it. I didn't do two middle fingers. I did this. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm actually using my index and middle finger, and then I'm swinging them in front of me. But I think it's been, it's been a case. I think as you're illustrating that the attempts to use reduction to game comparisons, genre comparisons, has not necessarily led us to an no. understanding of what is this. No, not at all. Uh, Redfall is a <sighs> single player or co-op open world shooter that has throughout the environment missions, little buildings to explore, Ooh. and like Ooh. short dungeons. Um, it has some some systemic interactions. But one of the things I was talking about uh, with Smith in the interview is that like where other games from the immersive sim lineage, right, will have mechanics where game systems talk to the player and the player talks to game systems, but also essentially game systems talk to each other, right? The classic example is the Far Cry 2 grenade rolls down a hill is far Mm -hmm. cry 2 an immersive sim no but this has been like for many people the gold standard for what systemic interaction games look like the fire in that game right where right and fighting an enemy i cause a small fire i walk away for 30 seconds and turn around 
I have destroyed the ecology of this right. of this land because that fire has spread and that yes. spread then hits the different AI systems and causes a bunch of interactions that yes. stem from the player making one decision. Right. Or not even making a decision. Right. Making a de- the grenade rolls down the hill example is yeah. something happens and yeah. then an unexpected series of outcomes eventually snowballs into absolute chaos. Um, this is not that game. This is not a game where systems talk to one another. This is a game where players talk to systems. But essentially and interestingly to me, this is a game where player abilities talk to each other uh, in a way that like, I think will be really, really excellent and really shine in cooperative play, which I didn't get a chance to do during my demo, which was exclusively single player. Um, the basic structure of Redfall is that there are three vampire gods that have taken over the small town of Redfall, uh, Massachusetts, Redfall, Maine. One sec. I have a t-shirt to check. Ren is uh, moving away from the camera is, uh, I believe heading towards what the, uh, what people call a goodie bag, um, to look at a t-shirt checking my drawers. I love red T-shirts. It's one of my favorite colors for a shirt. Rare. It's you don't get it all as much. That's good. Red fall. Red fall, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Calm seas and sunny skies. I actually like the logo on the front a lot. It's a cute shirt. That's good. That has strong. You can wear. You can wear that, and people are gonna think you went to a place called Red Fall. Like, and that's my favorite kind of shirt. Is one that is innocuous, and like those who know know, and everyone else is like, what a cool design. Yeah, uh, I will. This is one of my sleep shirts now. I am very, I I love it. It's also very soft. All the shirt shit aside, uh, Redfall, Massachusetts. This is the only reason I bring this up is because I couldn't remember which state it was in. Uh, Redfall, Massachusetts has been taken over by three vampire lords uh, and basically, or four, maybe I forget which. uh, And um, your goal as the player is to kill these four vampire gods uh, by taking long-term quest chains as you pick away at their, like, as you hunt them down, right, over a course of, like, several missions. Um, And, like, the the corner of the game I got to play was uh, hunting down the Hollow Man, uh, who is one of the vampire gods, uh, who is, like, a a big villain. And, like, the game, like, is doing the arcane-style world-building very effectively. I think that this game tells a story in, like, really compelling ways uh, and combines that with, I would say, the best gunplay that Arcane has done. I think this feels substantially better than Deathloop. It looked it looked really good. So, like, you, you shared with me a bunch of what in the, the industry is called B-roll, just sort of, like, raw footage uh, from a game that is not meant to be shared. Like, it's about get, meant to be given to video editors so that they can, like, use it as part of, like, clips yeah. and features. And so... I have to admit, like, yeah, like, gunplay is not what you normally associate as, you know, a strong suit of arcane yeah. uh, projects. You know, it's all, like, it's fine and dishonored because it's fine. That's not what you're primarily doing. Whereas here, you know, you are sorting through loot. You are, like, guns are a huge part of, regardless of what class you are are, are picking, whether, like, whatever power structure, like, you have on top of your character, you're going to be using guns a lot. And yeah. so you want that, the floor of what that feels like to be a lot higher and at least like having watched the video like it looked way like it's not just competent like it looked like mm-hmm. fine the, um, po- the pop pop of the slide of a handgun in this game 
is really good. Like that's that's a small thing, but like usually that is my that is my barometer for if a video game gun feels good uh, in in a modern setting is whether or not the handguns really pop or not. And like they do in this, the handguns feel good. Um, they have the very much like. A, if you are using them, it really feels like, okay, I'm moving through a space, bop, 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 right? It's got, it's got mm-hmm. the John Wicky, um, oh, Wicky, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it has the John Wick, <laughs> listen to our podcast on the White House, on um, the Lighthouse, fuck, or listen mm. to our podcast on White House Down. Yeah, this is, yeah, you choose your own adventure. <laughs> um, but it has that, like, pop, pop, pop. Um, what actually has, can you, it's, uh, when I was watching the footage, there yeah. is, there is a character that when they were using a sniper rifle, yeah. they appeared to have a power that actually was a literal pop, 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 pop. pop, pop. It was like yes. a, it was like a magnetism where like when you pull out the pull out the sniper rifle and then like aligning the scope, it would like they were able to like just shoot through six enemies like that was by just ult. clearly clearly just hitting trigger 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 and it was just magnetizing between yeah. uh, these different enemies. That was an ultimate ability that okay. one of the characters it looks can super use. cool. It's sick as fuck, Patrick. <laughs> it's really cool. I didn't play with that character and I kind of regretted it. Um, uh, the stealth guy seems really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did not do that. I probably did not play the best character for single player uh, gameplay, and that's fine. That's that's. that's did you fine. play the one that has the little robot? Yes, I did. That yes, one looks like the least interesting to play a single player. Oh, that was yeah, my Patrick. direct impression. Oh, so the yeah. fact that that's what you chose is so funny. Well, right. Cause you know what? That was, that was one of the reasons I chose it. Cause I was like, I want to test this shit. That's a, I want yeah, to see it's a good point. how this works. Okay, um, you can do a little, so, you can do a little, a little jump with your dynamite. That's neat. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. I will explain that in a second because I think it gives a lot of insight into how Redfall works like mechanically mm-hmm. and like systemically. Um, so you are hunting down these vampire lords. You go and do like arcane level missions, right? Uh, the demo I played had me going into a mansion and like solving some environmental puzzles and then going through a short like dungeon to uh, get information on where what this vampire god's weakness was so I could try and kill him. Because all of the vampire gods have weaknesses because a really fun detail about this setting that I actually talked about with Smith is that Power in this setting is built off of belief. Uh, there is like a psycho Redfall uh, and the Redfall incident is as much a psychological phenomenon and psychic phenomenon as it is a supernatural one. That's uh, what like um oh what's the um oh what's the whole story that's based on like gods get all their power from belief. Uh, I'll, get, I'll pull it yeah. up. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Um, American gods. American right? gods. Like, yes. Yes. There, there yes, are many is... stories that do this. Um, sure. I'm just one of the most contemporary, like uh, mo- yes. like modern ones that people might be associated as like yeah, like the gods get all their power from belief, and that creates a lot of like the tension between the various yeah. gods and new ones that are invented over time. Yeah, and like this is why this is one of my favorite things to do in fiction. I, I love a god whose power is built off of belief, and that's what this game is doing. And so like they have weaknesses because of course they do because they you know they're built on belief and psychological uh, trauma and all of these things. And so like you are acting on both a literal and like psychological level at both times. Uh, it's 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 cute. Uh, and also like this is a game about vampires and understands what it means to invoke the vampire as, as an image in culture and what the vampire has historically stood in for in terms of how power is distributed. And like one of the cool things is that like the vampire gods are vampire gods because people believe them to be. Um, 
the powerful are the powerful both because they have access to material resources, but also because we have invested them with meaning over time. Uh, you know, there's a reason that the that the in-game corporation that caused the Redfall incident that turned everyone into vampires is built on is, is based on Theranos. Yeah, um, I want to read this quote from please. Smith. Has been going. He's been giving a variation of this quote to a bunch of different outlets, but um, this one comes from uh, Digital Trends. Uh, this is from Harvey Smith. Uh, quote. Monsters are always metaphors, and we live in a world where a tiny percentage of people are living greater than kings of old. Uh, private jets, multiple mansions, islands, as they're draining the life out of the world. Profits for a tiny group of people are historically high, even as rivers are drying up. There are places in Texas where you literally can't drink the water now. So vampires seemed like the perfect metaphor. Science-based, biomedical, star vampires fit right into a world with Theranos. Yeah. Uh, a cute, a cute little, a cute little thing. And like, I mean, Smith was very open about this in, in my own interview with him was just it like, it felt like I, I saw it enough times. I was like, damn, love it when a talking point that you yeah. clearly t- like discussed with PR and is going to be like, <laughs> like, this isn't surprising PR to see the, like, no. Hey, one no. of the pillars of how we're talking about this game is going to be this vampire metaphor and what it says about the company that's in the middle of a trying to acquire Activision Blizzard mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. wonderful. It was wonderful. it was it was fascinating. Uh, there there was a PR person present for my interview, and like I'll be honest, that was a surprisingly open interview for that for that uh, uh-huh. for that uh, setting. He's um, good at that, yeah, for yeah. sure. But this is all to say that this is a game about you know sneaking into or shooting your way through. Um, levels with multiple entry points uh, with a suite of powers that can interact with the world and with enemies in slightly different ways. Um, Kato, mm-hmm. you asked about the bomb jump. Yeah. What was that? So here's the thing. The bomb jump is an unlock on the skill tree. Mm. Until, until you unlock the bomb jump the C4 pack does not have any physics interactions with players. Huh. There is an on, uh, it is not that when you jump and detonate the bomb, your character is being like, there's a level of acceleration being applied from explosives in this game that is sending you up into the air. That is not what is happening. Huh? There is a trick. There is a trigger that is, there is a, there is a switch that is being flipped that says you are going to do the jump higher now because a bomb has gone off under your feet. And I think that that like this to me encapsulates the difference between something like a Far Cry 2 or some other immersive Sims from what Redfall is doing. Right. Uh, It is making the actual outcome of the bomb jump a thing that you are turning on or off depending on your particular skill tree and build. Right. In a way that, I'll be honest, was not super intuitive while I was playing because when I started playing, I was like, oh, I'm just going to bomb jump. Now I can't. And by the time I realized that the bomb jump was not innate, uh, I had already spent the rest of my skill points and like could not (laughs) actually bomb jump uh, for the entirety of that demo, which like made my experience playing the demo demonstrably worse because there was a ton of like traversal things that I just couldn't do. When it Uh, seems like each character has a different way of dealing with that like layout problem right like you have the one character who has the elevator right like and like the elevator like spawns in you walk in the elevator it spits them out as sort of a double jump one of the other characters has which people have probably seen if you've seen the footage where it's like you can throw this little like it looks like a proximity mine it's and you a c4 whip that is that c4 that's and you c4 teleport to it 
Oh no 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 no! That's the teleporter. Yeah, that, yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it sorry, sorry. It kind of looks like a little mine-like device. Oh, okay. You can basically like whip that in the air and then immediately teleport to that, and then it, it starts a cooldown. It just seems like each character seems to have a different way of dealing with, uh, sort of like the double jump slash climb problem. Like, not everyone. Okay. The sniper guy that you were talking about earlier, Patrick, does not. I believe. I believe he does okay. not have like a particular movement ability. Um. And that's part of the thing is that these movement abilities are designed to be used in concert with one another. Uh, during the uh, talk, the before the actual demo, Smith was talking about the ways in which the team was surprised the first time they saw someone use a bomb jump to get into the air and then have another player combo them with the elevator to like get even higher. And the first time they saw that, they were like, okay, we have something here. We didn't realize this was a thing that people could do, but we're glad that they are. And this is what I mean when like the moments of emergent gameplay in Redfall are not coming from you interacting with the world. They are coming from players interacting with each other and like ability interplay in a way that like even other games of this genre, like for example, the game that this game has been compared to occasionally, Borderlands. Characters in Borderlands don't their abilities in my from my memory don't talk to each other that much. Um, their abilities like act unto the world, but do not like act unto each other uh, in that way. And so, the moments of emergence are coming from a very different place that I think means this game will really shine in multiplayer in a way that like, I think it kind of struggled to in single player. Um, and so the, you know, the mission I did was just going through a house, uh, fighting some enemies, uh, finding some dolls and then doing a short dungeon. The gunplay was good. Uh, I played the most supporty character, which was probably not my best decision, uh, or was a great decision because it showed. Uh, well, that, I will like, say, I, when I go to these demos, I try to go out of my way. Similar to when we were talking about Diablo earlier this yeah. week, we're like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to play a, a character that I would go against type, and yeah. I, I will frequently try and do that also at these press events, which is okay. Pick the character or or build that will go against type for myself as a way of trying to find a different angle on wrapping my head around the game that I'm playing. So like I, I actually find that exercise to be even if it made your like play experience like slightly less than ideal perhaps for the single player experience, it tells a story about what yeah. the game is trying to accomplish. No, exactly. I would I don't think I would have realized the ways that the power system worked and was hard-coded if I had not played as Remy, right? If I don't play as Remy and see that the bomb jump is a thing that you have to unlock, I don't think it clicks for me that this is a game where the outcomes are, in a way, like, the game knows what outcomes are going to be happening, right? The game knows what interactions are going to be happening very firmly uh, and, you know, what those combinations actually look like. I don't think that clicks for me if I don't play this particular character. Um, I think that this is going to be really fun to play with a group of people. I'm very, I'm very excited about it, uh, about that. What I will say is that the fighting the vampires is interesting. It is an interesting twist, like twist on 
moving through groups of enemies in a first-person shooter. Uh, because the way that fighting vampires in this game works is that when you shoot vampires, when you do enough damage to them, they like enter a vulnerable state, and then you have to go in and stake them to actually finish them off. Otherwise, they come back to life. And so part of the thing is that like learning how to deal with a group of enemies is learning how to either stake the vampire or burn them immediately. Um and then deal with, you know, the men with guns surrounding them or try and knock the vampire out of commission and then focus fire and like try to do crowd control as you approach their like, you know, vulnerable uh, form. And like that stuff's good. It feels it feels good to to do that. And also like there are certain weapons that only work on vampires. Uh, this like UV light beam that you can mm. get uh, freezes them solid and like turns them to stone. And then any melee attack or even like shot will shatter them. Yeah. The uh, one, and, the one character that has like, they, like uh, they, they pull out yeah. essentially, like this beam. They like kind of put it as, as like a stake yeah, the in the influencer. ground. And huh? Yeah. The influencer. Is that the name of the, the, the character type? No, he's an influencer. Oh, <laughs> the character is the verified cryptid right. hunter. And it's almost like they're putting down like a floodlight, and like yeah. they kind of crash it in the mm-hmm. ground right in front of them, and then like I don't know how far the reach, like the AOE is in it, but like yeah. essentially like enemies that were directly in front of it, like solidify into place, and it's like it's kind of like doing almost like a heavy attack because there's a big yeah. animation associated with getting it down, but in the moment it clicks into place. Uh, it looks really cool as then you're able to then hover around yep. and just shatter them into dust. They also have like a, a gun version of that. That's like a beam. You can shoot a beam <laughs> at the vampires that freezes the, that, that turns them to stone. And like, that's so what's really cool. The stake gun is very fun. Uh, the stake launcher is effectively a single shot or like semi-automatic long range rifle that does not have a scope uh, and can instantly kill a vampire uh, at range. Uh, and it's also quiet. Uh, and so effectively, but the thing is, its ammo is really limited, both in its magazine and has a long, re- long ass reload time. And also like in the environment, I was not finding stake ammo everywhere. And so like using that gun is being like, okay, I am going to take out this threat from an extreme distance, um, intentionally, right? This is, this is me making a choice here to use this weapon. Is the... Um are, is every enemy mm-hmm. a vampire or no. are some of them not? No. Right. Okay. No, the the majority of enemies are not vampires. They are like cultists who are following the vampire mm. gods. Uh, and so who, that, that you know, freeze are, ray are, are standard. That freeze ray wouldn't work on those types of enemies. Correct. Theory, right. Okay. Correct. That's interesting. What does it do uh, to them? Does it apply like damage? Or I don't it, think so. It, okay. I think, I think they might be straight up immune to it. Um, mm. I didn't, I didn't, uh, think to, to check because I was like, it's UV light. What's it going to do to a guy? <laughs> oh, I got a sunburn. <laughs> Dork. <laughs> Fuck off. We flash them. I mean, like, if, like a flashbang or something. Fun. They're not. That's dangerous. Uh, oh, oh no. I've got early, <laughs> early skin cancer. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, we know we were. T- wow, is this the consequence of incorporating AI into uh, our video game? Barks is that um, you have you have guys just NPCs walking around muttering about their worry about their early onset skin cancer. Oh my god, did the CDC write these combat barks? That's really weird. <laughs> oh my god, the American Medical Association really really had a lot had a yeah, strong be, hand in red. You gotta be worried about the language models that you're feeding into. <laughs> to these things you don't know what they're gonna gonna spit out mm-hmm. yeah i mean like mm-hmm. when i was watching the footage it uh 
it looked better than I expected in yeah. terms of uh like I got to watch like eight to ten minutes of solo single player play. There was one sequence, uh, some bits of footage that were going essentially rotating through the powers of the different character yeah. types and what is it like to use those on their own. It looks better than I expected, and I mm-hmm. think that uh suggests the kind of the marketing this has been confused in terms of explaining who is this for? That said, have, now that you talk about it, having watched the footage, I also understand why they've had trouble explaining yeah. what this game is and who it is for. Um, I get the impression, having watched the footage, that will this game be fine as a single-player game? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be probably profoundly better as a co-op game? Yes. Also, yes. And the, the question that's not answered by the footage is what is the – What's the distance between those two, right? Like, am I going to be able to play this game where I can play 75% of it by myself and have a pretty good arcane time? And then occasionally, like, hey, my friends are online. Like, let's go do a thing in their world and I have a even a more elevated experience. Or am I going to be back solo and going, well, the distance between those two experiences was so vast that I don't even really want to do this by myself. And that's not really answered by the, by the footage. I think it's going to be a really vast distance, but the baseline is going to be really good, right? Like I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. the hour and a half I played of solo play. Uh, it looks I, like an I, arcane game, just yeah. like with way more shooting, right? Like just stealth is here, but not really what you're doing, unless unless that is just them prioritizing in the footage. No, there is stealth. The gunplay. There's um, definitely there's definitely there's moments of stealth in that footage yeah. of like someone sneaking through and like. But here's well, the they thing, just cut away the so fast because they want to get back to the to the shooting stuff. And so it's just hard for me to tell. Like, I understand why in B-roll, like we're not, we're going to show the next five minutes of someone slowly sulking through an area. I guess maybe you can speak to this. Like what is, cause I feel like that is definitely like a huge part of the arcane or immersive sim experience is like studying, watching, even if the actual actions you then do as a result of that studying, watching are not stealth. Cause you choose to go uh, like light it up. Like what is your relationship in this game to the traditional, uh, I'm going to stand up here in a corner and study the AI patterns. So that actually was something that I, I did and really enjoyed. Uh, there was this little, uh, while I was approaching the mansion, I actually approached it from the far, far right side. Uh, there's like a main gate and I was like, no, I'm going to see if I can go over the main gate, like this main fence by like climbing up a little mountain, uh, to the, like to the right and like getting up on this cliff face. And then I had a silent sniper rifle, uh, and from there, I like took out this uh, one of the watchers, which are these like kind of sentry enemies that are like watching this whole area. They look I, super, the design on them is so extremely good. good. So good. <laughs> all of the all of the designs in this game are really really excellent. Um, and so I take it out uh, silently with my rifle, and then I climb on top of that roof, and I'm looking at like you know twenty. Uh, 30 enemies or like, you know, a couple of a couple of distinct groups. And I'm like, okay, how do I want to move through these groups of people? Um, Mm -hmm. How do I want to to approach this combat? And then I I came up with a plan and I executed it and it felt great. The plan I executed worked and it felt good to do. Uh, And that's when I was like, okay, cool. I think that they have done the arcane thing, even with the character who is most ill suited to single player play. Uh, or who feels partially ill-suited to single-player play. I have a way to to get through this space in, 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 in a way that is, like, exciting to me. Using my little robot buddy to go distract people is very fun. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, again, I think it is a little bit of, I, I think the abilities are a little bit too switch flicky. Where like, once you send your little robot to distract people, the enemies who see the robot will be distracted. There are not going to be moments of surprise where you're like, oh, fuck, I thought that guy was distracted. Now I'm in this awkward position that I have to like improvise my way out of, right? The outcomes are pretty expected uh, whenever you use it. Seems pretty binary. It's like yes, stealth exactly. action, stealth action, action not, yes. not, not a, there's no orange, yellow level in between. It's green or red. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, I mean, like the enemies can lose track of you and they'll be sure. like, oh, where'd they go? Oh, um, <laughs> but Gotta research that skin cancer thing that Joe was talking about. <laughs> you can go to CDC.gov. <laughs> Make sure it's at least SPF 50, at least. Oh, really? I only have an SPF 30. It's a tinted moisturizer, though. I kind of use it as a foundation. That doesn't do anything against skin cancer. Really? Really? Oh, it's a great foundation, though. I mean, my contour goes on it terrifically. <laughs> <laughs> my eyeliner goes on like a dream over it um you couldn't tell i just got a tinted sun uh tinted sunscreen mm-hmm. uh, that was that has been doing me right um all of this aside uh i think it's i think it's good the only here's what i'll say when we watched one of the trailers um i remember uh watching it with you rob and uh kato mm-hmm. i'm referring to patrick here as you uh, we did the Xbox showcase. Yes, the uh, Xbox yeah. showcase. Yeah. I actually don't think Rob was part of that. I mean, that was just Oh, who's to us. say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If Rob's not here, he's in the crawl space. <laughs> Rob, was, Rob was watching from a nearby roof after having killed a watcher. Um, <laughs> looking through a scope into, 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 my, into, the, into the mirror I have behind my camera to look through at the, at the Xbox showcase. There was a moment where someone was moving through a house very slowly. Uh, and then a vampire's there and it's like, oh, there's a vampire here. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to shoot the vampire and then, oh, I run through this house. Right. That moment of like tension and fear. Redfall does not have that. I don't, I don't think it's built for that, but it's really close. Uh, one of the things I, uh, I, I left the game feeling was that the vampires are threats in terms of the amount of damage they do to you. If you are playing on the games like hard difficulty which is what i was talking which is what i played on and what smith himself was like this is this is the one that i like and i was like it's okay i also like it um was they are threats if they hit you you will die uh or if they hit you a couple of times you will take a lot of damage which means that like dealing with them is is important Mm -hmm. what i think the game lacks is feedback um it is, and I think this applies to a lot of things. It's it's just a little bit undercooked in terms of like, I want to if I'm gonna get hit by a vampire in a piece of fiction, and it's gonna take out like a quarter or a third or half of my health bar, I want that motherfucker to really throw me around. You know what I mean? Like if, I, I think that if you're going to have this game with this tone and make the vampires feel like threats, especially to make them feel like threats to a group of players, they have to like put you through a wall uh, mm-hmm. when they hit you. I want to go skidding. I want a little bit of hit stop when that vampire smacks, smacks the shit out of me. And it just wasn't there. And so while they were mechanical threats in the demo that I played, which, you know, this could change before it actually releases, they did not feel 
affectively like threats, even if they were effectively threats. Um, and that was like my main complaint. And that that is my main complaint really surprised me. Um, I, I walked away um, kind of shocked how impressed I was by the game at times. Uh, there was also a mechanic where the more you do in the world, the more you piss off the Rook, who is like the second in command for all of the vampire gods. He is like the nemesis that gets summoned uh, when you uh, piss this, off too much. Is this sort of like in the footage, there was a, a meter that was going yes. up mm-hmm. uh, in the center. Like uh, sometimes it said like the gods the are cultists watching are aware of you yeah. or the vampire gods are watching. And my assumption was like, well, when that fails, I bet something bad spawns. Yeah. The Rook. That is the Rook uh, who is really strong. Uh, and basically they were like, if you kill him, you get really good loot. Uh, it's a hard yeah. fight. And I almost did it, uh, but the problem was I went into that fight without ammo in my guns, and, like, that killed me. I went into that fight with guns that did not have enough ammo in them, and I tried to switch weapons uh, by, like, hopping into my inventory and changing what was equipped in the middle of that fight, and it, I, just, it just, I just got obliterated uh, while doing that. Um, because I had to like sift through menus because I was also playing on a controller, which is not what I usually play FPS games with. Uh, and so I had to like very quickly try and dash into the menus to try and equip a better weapon. But like that, I ran out of ammunition in this game and then was killed by a large threat because I mismanaged my resources and went into a hard fight with the wrong resources. That's, that's exciting to me. Right, like that is that is a moment where like, okay, cool, this game actually wants you to think through things and is like going to apply a little bit of friction to you. If I had played through this area differently, if I had used less ammo, if I had been less run and gunny, maybe I would have been able to do this fight. Um, and like, that was really cool. That was exciting uh, to have that realization. I am curious as to how the game plays on the highest difficulty. Uh because I think that the the game's hard mode is just a little bit undertuned for where I would want it to be personally. Uh, and so I'm really curious as to what the game's like midnight difficulty uh, actually plays like. But yeah, I left it being um, surprisingly impressed. Um, the interplay between the different weapons is really good. Uh, the fact that like pistols don't have stakes So, like, pistols are great for stunning a vampire or for, like, taking out cultists, but, like, you need to switch to something with a stake on it to be able to actually finish vampires off, and I think that's fun. Uh, I think, like, having to improvise like that and constantly be, like, shifting around is is, is really cool. Uh, Each weapon really feels like it fulfills a role, capital F, capital R, uh, in a way that I I appreciate. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, to to go from the depressing feeling of maybe potentially writing off an arcane game to arriving at where we probably should have expected from an arcane game. Yeah. Like, oh, well, of course they're doing interesting stuff. Like what is the, the studio, but usually when they, they do something that, you know, even if it doesn't totally hit, like I know death loop didn't totally hit for a lot of people, but like, you can't look at what that game was trying to do and not be like, all right, well they were taking a swing. And I think it's interesting to that now having you having played it, we get a better sense of what those swings are, which I think was not clear from, 
a lot of what we'd seen uh, from the game prior. Um, yeah. And it's not that far off. I mean, it's like six weeks out or something like yeah. that. So soon enough, we will be we'll be able to stream ourselves playing some some Redfall. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, let's jump in to the mailbag for a little bit before we get out of here. You can write in questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I've gotten uh, this, a paper uh, cut from all this mail. Ooh. <laughs> As you're saying, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, you just shook something loose in my brain. We also had the same generic school McRib. It was called yes. the rib tickler. Rib tickler we never understood why it was named this but it was pretty tasty what's the weirdest named off-brand food you remember from two decades ago that's a hyper specific question oh god (sighs) if you don't have an answer it's okay i just wanted to be able to say rib tickler on the podcast i'm thinking thinking really hard i'm devoting 100 percent of my brain power to this i actually just because i share i shared mine like mine was not called the rib tickler as far as i can remember but it was the off-brand mcrib it was not mcdonald's they were not getting that shipped in uh from there but we were getting a, a mcrib equivalent um Oh, favorite off-brand food. Um, even if it's one now, I can't even think of one now. Yeah. Like, does Kirkland count? Kirkland is a brand. Cur- it's not off-brand. That's true. Yeah. What's off-brand? Well, but I'm buying it because it's like the like the medicinal equivalent of a generic. Right. Like, like that's, the- <laughs> that's true. Uh-huh. The story that does ring uh, to mind from this, even though it's not specifically answering the question is uh growing up um my parents were a big fan of cooking ribs and so eventually i kind of came around at it despite that not always being like a thing that it's kind of a gross way to eat food <laughs> like, like i can understand <laughs> even if you like uh or do eat meat that like you look at ribs which oh, is like is my delicious. wife she's like she's like that's the one i just won't it's like they're they're called ribs I can like it's too easy to identify mm-hmm. exactly what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Like there's no abstraction <laughs> Cowards. happening. Cowards. Um, I'll, I'll pass on the feedback to Katie. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but I also agree. I was like, I think you'd really. Anyway, uh, growing up, there was a restaurant uh, that that's what like clicked the food for me, and I loved their sauce. And I would tell my parents that I would not eat ribs at home unless I had that sauce. And for a little while. They were going to that restaurant asking if they could just like get it in a cup and like would would get it home, would bring it home. And then eventually, well, they stopped doing that. Did they tell me they stopped doing that? No, No, they just started serving me like regular barbecue sauce that they were that they were purchasing. And it wasn't until many years later uh, where my my mom revealed like, do you know that we were tricking you for the better part of five years uh that you were you just thought like we were doing this generous thing for you of going to this restaurant getting their uh their barbecue sauce and bringing it home but you just ate the thing everything else was and we just told you otherwise you know what this makes me curious patrick yeah are you doing this right now uh admit to it on this recording (laughs) <laughs> use the same tactic yes, yes. Uh, I told my uh, kids uh, fish sticks or chicken nuggets they're just different um, <laughs> use that to get like fish sticks Sorry, in the door what um, yeah because kids get really like they're habitual right like kids are just habitual by nature in everything yeah. that they do and yeah. so there's a certain age 
till roughly about two, maybe two and a half, where they'll eat anything they give you. And then they start to develop preferences and habits. And it becomes very difficult to break them out of that. There are two two examples of this. One is telling uh, both of my kids that uh, you like chicken nuggets, right? Like, yeah. And I was like, this kind of looks like a chicken nugget, right? It's because it's lightly fried. And it's like, uh, well, this is just a different kind of chicken nugget. If you don't like it, it's okay. But just give it a bite or two and then mm-hmm, let me know. Mm-hmm. And also then you so you give them ketchup to disguise a little bit of that initial mouthfeel because the the, the fish stick is going to taste a lot different consistency-wise yeah. than, yeah. than the fish stick is. And with both kids, like, Managed to go, like, well, I really like those chicken nuggets. And then later told my oldest, I was like, those are fish sticks. Like, it's a different type of food. Oh, okay. Um, and the, um, the, they will often ask, and a lot of times you get into this hoop with, how can I, how can I tell them they're eating a treat or a snack, but they're eating something good and healthy? But it associate it, it checks, it makes them feel powerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, the really easy, oh, actually, there's two examples. One is my wife, make smoothies uh, every yeah. morning and yeah. she will take the excess smoothie, put it into a popsicle holder and then puts that in the freezer. And yeah. then Classic. both kids will ask like, can I have a popsicle? You're just having the smoothies that we've been making all week, but it's in popsicle form. And so it feels really fun. Uh, and the other one is yeah. she bought like a chocolate hummus, which Ugh. sounds sorry. Gross. Sorry. What? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't want anything to do with it. In it? I don't, I don't, have, I don't even like hummus. So it's like, I, I <laughs> wow. couldn't give you any explanation on what's going on here, oh but my God. it's got chocolate flavor and, uh, the kids are like, can I have that, can I have that chocolate dip and I'll eat it. And it's like got a little bit of chocolate flavor, but it's, you know, a very healthy snack to be eating like with yeah. vegetables or, nice. or crackers or what have you. So yeah, those are, those, yes, those are, yeah, no, they're, <laughs> those are, the, the, you know, I feel like those are common. No, those aren't lies. Tactics. Those no, are like those are like I've been I've been tricking you for five years. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Lies of omission. I don't know. They're 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 are dancing in the kids? and dancing in the in the same ballpark. But um, are you gonna lie to your kids see. like that? Do you plan on it? What? Do you plan I, on- I, I, if the if the context is right, I mean, I understand why my parents. I don't think they were. They were. It was a white lie. Like, no, it was I, yeah, a lie. I agree. Yeah, I, I feel, and they eventually came clean on it, which is, you know, what I did with the fish sticks. So yeah. I feel like that is part of the dance, is eventually, but then my but then my oldest stopped eating fish sticks. She's like, oh, okay, I don't want fish. And I'm like, mm, you know what fish are. Okay, fuck, all right, fine, whatever, I respect it. <laughs> Find something else to eat instead. I- uh, Reinhardt from Duluth uh, writes in, long time, first time, in the most recent pod, Ren was talking about lighting and interior design signifiers and games. I work with game environments, and let me tell you, lighting is cheap reusable and easily incorporated into our visual language right designers know how to set them up in black and in blockouts and they are easy to iterate around as they get handed off to different departments arranging normal level assets into well-balanced spaces is difficult because of their limited visual impact and the changes that design art and qa may make later in production alternatively unique assets are much more labor intensive for example, where I work, requested assets that go through outsourcing take months to get back to us and may need to be sent back for fixes. Other studios like Naughty Dog that make all of their environmental assets new per level per artist will likely be better off incorporating a solid interior design. 
Anyway, what is the worst thing you've tripped over? Sincerely, Ryan from Duluth. I, so we can start with, Ren, if you had any, given that you wrote the piece on it. Yeah. And I've been thinking about this particular question. If there was, if there was anything about no, that's what so cool. pointed to that was that you found interesting. That's so fucking cool. Like like the like the fact that lighting is, it, the reason is it's cheap and easily iterated upon. That's, that's a really, that's really cool. And like, I want to be clear. Let me be clear. I was not trying to suggest last time that you have to get a degree in interior design if you want to be a level designer. That would be fucking insane. That would be that would be a, that would be a crazy thing to say to people. It was I was just suggesting that like there are tools that are taught in like fun in foundations level courses, uh, and like the basics are worth knowing. Um, uh, I, I'm not trying to suggest that, that y'all got to go get like a master's degree to be a level designer. Of I course, there's different toolkits. To- like even as like writers and critics, like you yeah. should read writing criticism that is not about video games, so yeah. you have like a broader sense of the tapestry of 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 design. Yeah. I think I think that is similar ex- to what you're suggesting here. It's exactly that, actually. It is it is it is exactly that. Just aimed towards a different technical skill uh, that people frequently that people occasionally associate with like exclusively with games. Uh, and I think that like hey, look at look a little bit more. Uh, I don't want I don't want folks to think that I'm trying to suggest that you go back to college or whatever the fuck uh, that would be that would be silly. But yeah, that's that's really cool. The fact that like, I don't know, I just love it when labor and economics like do cool things like this, like, for example, produce uh, uh, lighting as the de facto language of uh, environment design and games because it is easily iterated upon. That's really neat. Um so yeah, that's 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 really cool. What is the worst thing I've ever tripped over? Hmm. I am clumsy, um, but I don't know, like I have a wholly unique object that stands out. I mean, like the most annoying one uh, in recent memory of like the last five years was I have a tendency to trip on stairs, going uh, down, hmm. not up. Oh, um, I'm an and, upfaller. Interesting and. So it's a like very pretty frequent way, like especially if I'm just wearing socks, you know, depending on the material of the stairs, it's just pretty common that like I'm on my way down once a month. It's like I have to grip uh, onto onto something in order to to steady myself. And one time my wife was out of town. We only had our oldest and it was the first time a block party was happening. So it was like a big deal to like meet some of the neighbors and get outside and have my my daughter uh, meet some of the other kids in the neighborhood, even though she was she was pretty young at the time. And uh, I'm getting ready to do that in an hour or two, mm-hmm. and I trip on the stairs, and it's a it's a bad one. And I catch myself, but I in the process man like slam one of my like the back of one of my feet like yeah. as hard as possible into the wood. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it felt like I broke my foot i know the difference between those things i've broke like broken things before i i know that i hadn't broken anything i know that i had gotten probably a bone bruise Mm. um but in like yeah the first hours of a bone bruise are similar can feel similar to breaking something in that you can just put very little weight on it and i like i'm looking at it like my wife isn't here i have no help to go to this block party Am I going to show up to the block party with a two and a half year old 
and crutches. I don't even have crutches. So I'm like <laughs> texting friends. Like, do you have, have you been in a serious injury recently? Do you just have crutches around that I can borrow? And fortunately, like my daughter took a nap and I just started drinking beers a little bit earlier, like had two of them and like time plus two beers made it so that I was like able to, to walk <laughs> and yeah. make it to the oh block party. Uh, but it was very, and by the time the block party was over, like the worst of the, the bruising had, had passed, but oh, yeah. that hurt like hell. I've done that twice on a set of stairs and it's, it sucks so bad. I, I am someone who like you, Patrick is, is a clumsy motherfucker. And I have a real history. I have a real habit of blowing out my ankle. Uh, just could just completely like ankle going directions. You didn't know an ankle could mm-hmm, just no. 24, 24, seven, no. uh, happens. 360, no scope, no ankle. Exactly. I'm walking <laughs> down the street. I'm wearing a four inch platform heel. That shit goes to the side. Fine. My connective tissue is weird. So I'm not Ugh. like breaking anything, but like it right. does hurt. You can like bend a, a little more than the rest of us. Exactly. Uh, just doing, uh, here's the thing. I'm doing way more long-term damage in exchange for like less <laughs> no. short-term pain. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool, I'm, a, I'm like a glass cannon build that doesn't know their health. Um, <laughs> what love, uh, love that caves of could modifier. Uh, this is all to say that one time I was like 15, 14 or 15, I started playing soccer, um, like that year, um, when I was like 14 or 15, I started really late, uh, and I was really excited and I was like going to like practice in my backyard and because I'm an idiot who invites uh, sorrow upon herself, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to hype myself up. I'm going to be like soccer, 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 let's go. Uh, and as I say this, well, my family is there and my family is not supportive I want to be clear. Those motherfuckers were, 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 were ready for this. I say soccer, soccer, soccer. Take one step off of our porch. Immediately blow out my ankle completely Ugh. on that stair. We are talking like hits the ground, like blew out my ankle uh, on the stair. So what came out of me was soccer, soccer, soccer. Ow, fuck. <laughs> and then I hit the ground and did not practice for the rest of the day. Oof. And that set, that, that set a little bit of the tone for my soccer career. Uh, the first practice I ever went to, I broke my thumb at. Um, Ouch. Because I, I, I tripped over the ball just immediately. Broke, broke the shit out of my thumb immediately. Day one, got in my grandma's car. She was like, I got this sweet tea for you. And I said, that's cool. I got to go to the hospital. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, oh. What's, what's your, what's your any, any ratio hmm. of like tripping, but then actually hitting the ground? Very low. I, but yeah. I do a lot of mm-hmm. yeah. tripping. Yeah. I like, catch myself. not actual Full, yeah, I'm always, I think because I've got so much practice with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> the same. And the odd part is because, like, someone that, like, really likes music rhythm games and things like that, like, I have a sense of balance, but not, but but I still yeah. trip. I just think I'm able to recover. I have, I have a high recovery rate. Yes. This is, this is, my my ratio is very close to, like, a 90-10, like, trip, but never actually hit the ground. But like, yeah. also, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm constantly tripping over things. Like, yeah, in normal life, a rug, 
a small a bump in the ground, a cat. <laughs> yes, my cat who loves to be nearby. Uh, I've never taken a particularly nasty fall then because of it. I did once trip on the crack of a sidewalk midway through a like New York block and mm-hmm. could not stop catching myself till the corner of the block. <laughs> when I was just like falling forward the whole time, catching myself, but not quite being able to stop my momentum oh, until I see? hit the end. Did anyone see? Yeah, I was on fucking bet. New York Street. A okay, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, Which one of these, borough, one of these, like, I was on Manhattan. Who, it was, it was, who got your ass? Did was, anyone get your ass? It was fucking Midtown. Nobody said anything, but I got some fucking oh, looks. Boring. <laughs> but Fuck it Midtown. Was, For this exact reason. I was like, cowards. my body was an L. Like walking, like my t- my the top of me was before my legs for the whole half of a block before I could like right myself. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you'd done that outside of a corner store because you would have gotten oh, obliterated in destroyed. a way that like you would hey, you would that remember guy. that shit till the day you die. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, no. I have I have just one story about falling and hitting the ground that I just want to relay real quickly. The first time my mother ever heard me swear. Um, I was outside. I didn't realize she was home sitting in her car and I walked outside and I tripped and we're talking like, when I say tripped, I mean like my chest hit the ground. Ooh. I mean like, mm-hmm. I Oof. mean like I, I, I A was in, spill. yeah, I, I, the, the wind was knocked out of me, Yeah, but as I'm falling, as I'm making contact with the ground, for some reason, the words that come out of my mouth are... <laughs> In this order, shit, fuck, dog. (laughs) Shit, fuck, dog, meow. Mm -hmm. The equivalent of just like whacking your keyboard. ASDF, ASDF, ASDF. I I keyboard smashed my own vocabulary. And that was the first time my mother heard me swore was yelling shit, fuck, dog, meow. As I completely knocked the wind out of myself. Just, just laying there on the ground and she was like don't I just hear you say what I think you said as I'm like wheezing I'm like yes can't even get mad uh, you know you the body does what the body does when it hits the ground uh, <laughs> you can write in and tell us questions of your body let the bodies your bodies hit the floor as Drowning Pool uh, once said <laughs> um, by writing into gamingadvice.com with the subject line uh, questions uh, that is going to do it for this uh, a podcast. Um, what do we got going? We we actually wrote a decent amount uh, this week. I, uh, Ren wrote about Exoprimal and the good time we had with that and the interesting things that are happening in that game in a piece called Exoprimal is the Dino Hero Shooter. I hope Dino Hero Shooter just becomes like a subgenre of these. Uh, is the Dino Hero Shooter that doesn't need you to take it seriously. Uh, I wrote... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm trying to like write little essays alongside with finishing games as part of like the Daddy's Day Off series, and so I kind of did a reflection of Metroid Prime uh, in a piece called Metroid Prime Remastered as a proud celebration of letting older games stay feeling old, and how that game feels like a classic because it it feels out of time, uh, but also in time, and it hasn't had 20 years of games building on it, and so it still feels fresh and new because. Uh, it, you know, and it has, a di- it has a different problem than Resident Evil 4, a game that t- spent that came out roughly the same time frame as Metroid Prime uh, in that, like, every game that came after that was in its orbit built upon it, which makes 
revisiting it, um, a more interesting, uh, a more unique enterprise. Uh, so check that out over at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Uh, this podcast is brought to you ad-free if you're a subscriber over at waypointplus.com. Uh, we haven't didn't have anything in the feed uh, this week due to the ongoing crisis of people taking vacations and wanting, quote, personal time to do things. Um, and uh, so Waypoint Plus uh, is, is taking just a... Or hiding in a room. <laughs> yeah, or hiding in a room. You know, I will... You know, hopefully over the, the course of your uh, more extended days off uh, that you and I will both have next week, you can get out of that room um, and oh. go into another room. Oh, I've scheduled most of my break around room hiding. Okay. All right. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> you spend your break how you want. I can't stop you. You know, go into one room, go into another room, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we'll come back and we'll we'll, we'll talk about our, our room use. Uh, you, uh, Our theme music is Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. Uh, you can follow uh, my work uh, at Patrick Klupik. Kato, where can people follow you? At A underscore Kato underscore appears. Ren. At Ren or Raven. Uh, Rob will be back uh, next week. I cannot promise what next week will be at Waypoint. I'll be here for the for the podcast on Monday to yeah. record, and then it is just Rob's Cotto and Rob <laughs> for a week. So uh, good luck to you, the audience, and good luck to them, uh, Rob and and Cotto. I'm I'm looking forward to to see what happens. Um, but that is us calling uh, time uh, for this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. <laughs>